Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Tuesday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan Lavoy, the host of this show. Today I've got Tom Peavy and Brooks Childress with me. We have a fun show planned for you this afternoon. Coming up in just a few minutes, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer will be joining us. That will be at 3.30 today. Hear from Ferg about the culmination of, obviously, fall practice as we head into game week, Auburn and UMass coming up in just a few days. And excited about that one, so we'll preview that Auburn-UMass game and everything Auburn football with Ferg. Of course, we will continue to have more conversations about the depth chart that was released yesterday and about more previews of this Auburn football team heading into week one. That also will continue with our sports call 5 at 5, which will be Auburn-related. Of course, we'll talk a little bit more, too, about uh, the Braves today they had an interesting situation last night, so we'll talk about that at some point this afternoon. Of course, we'll take your phone calls on the Auburn Bank phone line at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9, birthdays and sports, and nightly TV guide as always. Again, Ryan, Tom, and Brooks. Brooks will be with us in just a few minutes. But Tom, how are you this afternoon? I, I'm doing great. Uh, still waiting on the uh, weather cool down. It's still a little rather hot outside, but uh, it looks like there's end on the uh in front of us at least for a little while with some cooler weather so hoping for that but uh yeah doing great still just counting down till the football season waiting to see what's going to happen with that obviously a, a lot of it, uh anxious excitement when it comes to auburn uh with all the unknowns that we have discussed ad nauseum so uh, looking forward to that and uh, uh yeah braves uh big win last night in their series opener against colorado the bats came alive ronald acuna's bat goodness gracious i texted you guys uh right after his what fourth hit of the night the bases clearing double and i just texted i was like have a night ronald acuna uh just absolutely tore it up at the plate uh and then a scary situation that happened uh in that game that i know we're going to get to talk about but uh yeah i'm just uh, a lot of stuff to talk about and i'm excited to get going on it yeah, I, in fact, I uh, just got an uh, update about uh, the Cunha stuff from last night, an article about uh, between the White Sox incident where a woman was able to sneak a gun inside the stadium right. and then uh, and then ended up accidentally shooting herself. Uh, that happened last week, the White Sox game, and now fans getting on the field with Acuna. Yeah. Just got an article about that, so we will hit on that a little bit later. We will open up today, though, as we – uh, often do this time of year with some college football. So when Brooks is able to join the show, we'll uh, let him get any thoughts in if uh, if he wanted to on week zero. But, uh, of course, Tom, you know, we've got some games coming up on Thursday night too, uh, which are exciting, and then uh, continue to preview the Sovereign football team. Yesterday we talked a good bit about the depth chart. It was more so kind of involving our sports call 
1-800-227-8255. And uh, that, uh, that part of it, that's how we, we framed it. Uh, for those that might have missed it, though, you know, we did play the Hugh Freeze audio from the press conference yesterday. And, and he said, look, he doesn't really use depth charts, doesn't really believe in them, that sort of thing. We know that for offensive line, you're not going to be rotating offensive line. You're not going to be rotating quarterback necessarily. You might have a wildcat package, that sort of thing. Right. There would be some positions, obviously, that rotate. I do want to name the offensive line because we did not do that yesterday. And, again, if you were to believe this this sheet of paper, which uh, was given to us, the depth charts that were printed, then this is your starting offensive line. Again, that's not something we'll see rotate throughout the game unless there's an injury. Uh, it, it could change later in the year with poor performance, obviously. But here's the starting offensive line for Auburn as uh, given to us by the uh, the depth chart. Left tackle, Dylan Wade, again, transfer out of Tulsa. Uh, so familiar with Philip Montgomery. That was probably the biggest get on the uh, the transfer trail in terms of offense alignment. Jeremiah Wright, up to 6'5", 338, big boy at left guard. Oh, yeah. Avery Jones in the middle, 6'4", 307, senior, senior. excuse me. Cam Stutz at right guard. He is the largest offense alignment on the team at 343 pounds. And, of course, we saw him at SEC Media Days. And then Gunner Britton at 6'6", 312 at right tackle. We'd heard a lot about Xavier Miller. He's listed as the number two uh, as uh, somebody that Hugh Freeze had mentioned had been having a very solid uh, solid fall. Maybe he ends up playing. Maybe there's movement there. Uh, they had moved Gunner Britton, tried him a little bit at left guard. Uh, but, uh, again, Dylan Wade, Jeremiah Wright, Avery Jones, Cam Stutz, Gunner Britton, your uh, projected starting offensive line right here. Uh, yeah, and, you know, it, I don't think there's not really – there's not really any there that just jumped off of me as, like, complete surprises. Uh, we knew it was going to be a revamped offensive line. Uh, that, that was just the biggest thing is it's going to be revamped. There's going to be some new faces there. Uh, a couple veterans there, but mostly new faces. The biggest thing is, I, I honestly don't care and didn't care who was there, who was going to be the starters. I didn't care. Just improve, get better, be better, provide Peyton Thorne at least some sense of protection back there. Be able to open some holes for that running game. Don't just look inept. And over the last several years. It has just felt like Auburn's offensive line has been mostly inept. Uh, and you can go through and look, especially the last couple of years. There, there's some bad video of guys running into each other, standing there, just uh, missing assignments, watching a guy run run through a gap, watching a linebacker run a gap right past him, and not realizing that that was your assignment. And the guy just blows right past him, and they're just kind of looking around like I don't know what's going on. That kind of stuff is it can't fly. It, it, it has got to be a little bit of sense of normalcy along the offensive line. So, like I said, I, I don't care who is there. I, I don't have a dog in that fight. I'm not going to sit there and go, oh, no, such and such should have been starting. I don't give two rats who is starting. Just be better. Be better and be a competent offensive line for a change. And that is something that is in the uh, sports call five at five that I put together for later is is five things to clearly improve upon from from last year. That'll be the sports call five at five offensive line, obviously being one of them. 
Thought run blocking at times was okay last year. The pass pro, I mean, I just remember Robbie. And look, some of it is you leave the pocket too early, even when you are well protected, because sure. you get so used to having to escape the pocket. But nevertheless, that indicates a struggle with pass pro there, uh, and and just uh, overall, as you said, need to improve. Really need to improve at both lines of scrimmage with uh, the the defensive line. Uh, being what it was against the rush last year. Uh, and, uh, again, a lot of improvements that could be made up there. Those are kind of the biggest things on the depth chart between that and the Sports Call 5 at 5 from last night or from yesterday. If you missed that, go back and check it out in the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola. Uh, but, uh, again, some of the oars with the wide receiver room, the note that, hey, Elijah McAllister at that jack position is probably a first and second down guy. Steven Singh, Jim McLeod listed below him more for pass rushing situations on third down. We'll see if throughout the season Sings and McLeod can get on the field more. Uh, Sings is a little bigger than McLeod, for instance. McAllister's huge. He's 6'6", 271. Sings is at 248 pounds. Jim McLeod's only 6'1", 237. Again, definitely more of an agile speed rusher type of guy. Right. So we'll see if they end up working their way onto the field more. But if you're curious of why McAllister's listed the starter, we just figure him to be out there on first and second downs and uh, those other guys to be more pass rushing specialists. So those were kind of some of the key takeaways from the depth chart when it was released yesterday. We're going to go ahead and take our first time out of the show. When we come back, we'll get to today's birthdays in sports. And also coming up in just a few minutes, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer at 3.30. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger into the show send us your thoughts via email you've got mail sports call at the tiger.fm attention all football fans get ready for the best games of the college football season every week on fm talk 93.9 each week fm talk 93.9 will bring you all the heart-stopping touchdowns bone-crushing tackles and game-changing interceptions from one of the best games of the week don't miss out on all the excitement mark your calendar now and join us for every game week for the best college football action stay up to date on upcoming games by visiting our website thetiger.fm or you can follow us on twitter at underscore fm talk underscore now back to the multi-time abby award-winning sports call Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and now Brooks Childress joining us on the show this afternoon. Brooks was taking care of some very important company business. Company business. Heck yeah, uh, give me the t-shirt. <laughs> Brooks, how are you this afternoon, man? Doing great. It is a, it's another great day and getting closer and closer to 
uh, week one of college football. We had the taste of it this past weekend with week zero. Uh, the the menu may not have been you know five star quality, but you know it, it was still college football, and you're you're gonna sit, I, I sat there and watched. Uh, I, I told uh, I watched at least one snap of every single college football game that was on this weekend. Granted, uh, the San Diego State Ohio game. I flipped over to it as they were taking the final kneel down, but I did see a snap of that game, so <laughs> I could say that I watched one snap of every game this past weekend. And I'm ready. Uh, it, it's you know two two days away from our, our not a full slate of college football, but some some pretty good uh, games on Thursday night, and then Friday you get a couple games along with the high school football in the area, and then Saturday it's uh, all all steam ahead. Let's let's play some football, and it, it's a great time of year. And you know it, it's it, it's one of my favorite times of year to be able to just sit on the couch all weekend long and watch some football. Yeah, and and even in the college realm too, few games on Sunday because the NFL has a kind of a a week off before they actually transition from preseason to regular season. All the the rosters are being finalized right now. A lot of cuts here in the last two days uh, to get down to fifty three. Uh, and so NFL taking a week off before they get to the regular season, but we got three games on Sunday. You got the Monday night game with Clemson Duke. So you got college football from Thursday to Monday this week, which gets you pretty close to the start of the NFL season next Thursday. We are excited to announce that starting tomorrow for yet another year, Joe Bartle of RotoWire will join us again for your fantasy football needs. So he will be joining the program each Wednesday in the 5 o'clock hour. So excited to have Joe back on for another year. That will start tomorrow of course we got justin ferguson coming up here in just a few minutes today so let's go ahead and get to birthdays in sports it's time for today's birthdays in sports birthdays in sports today starts off with roy oswalt who's 45 today former mlb pitcher oswalt was born in mississippi and was a star in baseball and football in high school winning a state championship in football as a senior no, it was at Weir High School in Mississippi. Go Lions. Weir. Okay. We played uh, – he played two – I said we played, yeah. I don't think I was Roy Oswalt for a time in my life. He played two college <laughs> years been. at Holmes Community College. Let's go dogs. There you and go. was drafted by the Astros in 1996. Made his MLB debut in 2001 for Houston where he played 10 of his 14 MLB seasons. Three-time All-Star, one-time NLERA leader, one-time NL wins leader, and one-time NLCS MVP. He's a member of the Astros Hall of Fame. Roy Oswalt is 45 today. David West is 43, former NBA forward. West was born in the state of North Carolina and moved to Virginia while in high school. As a senior in 1998, West was named to the All-State team and committed to play college basketball at Xavier. Let's go with the Musketeers. He played five seasons for the Musketeers, was a three-time A-10 Player of the Year, one-time All-American, one-time National Player of the Year, winner of the 2003 Oscar Robertson Trophy. His number 30 is retired by Xavier. He was taken 18th overall by the Hornets in 2003 and played 15 seasons in the NBA for four teams. Two-time All-Star, two-time NBA champion with the Golden State Warriors. David West is 43 today. Uh, so while in North Carolina, he attended Garner Magnet High School in Garner, North Carolina. Go Trojans. And then finished at Hargrave Military Academy. Go Tigers. Okay, yeah, Hargrave, I can see why he transferred. That's great basketball school. Jay Ratliff is 41 today, former Auburn and NFL defensive lineman. Ratliff was born in Georgia and was an All-State tight end in high school as well as a star in basketball. At Lowndes County High School in Valdosta, Georgia, go Vikings. Vikings. He played college football at Auburn. War Eagle. Signing as a tight end but moving to the defensive line in 2004. He helped Auburn to go undefeated and win the SEC championship. 
In 2005, he was drafted in the seventh round by the Dallas Cowboys, played 11 years in the NFL, was a four-time Pro Bowler and one-time All-Pro selection. Jay Ratliff turns 41 today. And Alex McPherson turns at 19, kicker for the Auburn Tigers. McPherson was born in Fort Payne, Alabama, and was the number one ranked kicker in high school as a senior. Out of Fort Payne High School, go Wildcats. He holds the state record for the longest field goal in a game at 61 yards. He also lettered in soccer, committed to play football in Auburn, where he got his first true starts at the end of the 2022 season against Texas A&M and Alabama. Going six for seven with a long of 51. I guess he was young uh, as a friend. I mean, I guess it's about as young as it gets as Alex McPherson. <laughs> he was young as a freshman. Well, yeah, he was a well, freshman. But I know, but I'm saying that usually uh, you turn 18 as you're in high school, usually. Right. Is what I'm saying. And he was turning 18 just before last year. And now he's turning 19 just before this year. So I'm saying he's still young for that 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 class because i mean he won't be 21 till um your fourth year in college that's not normal usually it's the third year of college all i'm saying uh, uh I'm, I'm young enough to remember how depends that depends on works. which uh which route you take you could take the scenic route <laughs> well i know you could th- uh, but he'd take the, i'm saying he takes taking the speedy route or True. just just aged aged in a certain way uh where it timed out younger anyway uh Alex McPherson is 19, Jay Ratliff 41, David West 43, Roy Oswalt 45. Those are the birthdays in sports here this afternoon. Again, Justin Ferguson joining the program in just a few minutes. Again, we want to publicly announce some more things with Tiger Communications. This fall, we on FM Talk 93.9 will be bringing you college football games of the week via a couple of different great sites such as Compass Media and Touchdown Radio. Their games of the week will be broadcast on FM Talk 93.9 throughout the college football season. And that starts Thursday night where you can find the Florida Gators and Utah Utes game over on FM Talk 93.9 starting at 6.30. Have some of the biggest names in college football all season long. And so that will be going on over there on 93.9 throughout the fall football year. Certainly uh, excited to partner with Compass Media and Touchdown Radio on that to provide some games. You'll see some games from the SEC, uh, from the Big Ten, and from the Big 12, and and one or two from the ACC as well. It also culminate. We'll have the Big Ten championship game on our airwaves uh, at the end of the season. So excited about all of that for sure. Uh, again, our great high school pro- programming because you got uh, tomorrow night. You got another high school coaches show. Mr. Brooks Childress right there, right across from me, uh, the the host of that show. Uh, looking forward to another week of that. You got the uh, first home game for the Beauregard Hornets on Friday night against Central Hainville. Uh, Smith Station's Panthers take on Central Phoenix City. A couple uh, centrals on our airwaves this week. Yes, a couple centrals. Uh, a little bit different, though. <laughs> Very different. A little different. bit different. Uh, so uh, Central Hayville against the Hornets here on Tiger 95.9. Central Phoenix City against the Smith Station Panthers on FM Talk 93.9. And as always, the Alabama High School Athletic Association scoreboard show. That one directly follows Smith Station. So a lot of great offerings, including in the high school ranks right here on our Tiger communication family of stations. And so, uh, and also you can throw in the Atlanta Braves as they continue on towards their playoff push. Again, we'll talk a little bit about the Braves on this show coming up in just a little bit. But for now, let's go ahead and go to our next timeout. 
of the show. When we come back, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer will be here to preview the UMass game and final thoughts on fall practice. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. The Sports Call crew wants to hear from you. Give us a phone call at 334-887-3401. Now back to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday afternoon. We are now excited to go back to the Auburn Bank phone line, and we now welcome on Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer, as it is finally game week, Ferg. We're very excited to have you on the program, very excited to talk about some Auburn football. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing well. How are y'all? Doing very well. So we finally have some previews to talk about of the season uh, coming up in just a second. But we do want to recap what went down in fall practice and uh, some decisions that were made personnel-wise. Of course, we want to start uh, with the culmination of the quarterback battle, landing Peyton Thorne the job. Uh, we know also on a, on a, a side note that Robbie Asher does have a little bit of a bleak strain to worry about here for the first couple of games. But we'll start with, uh, with the actual battle itself. Uh, I know this was not the surprising result. Were you surprised that it was named a little sooner than maybe some some thought, or did you think that was uh, the the right time to to name Thorne there a couple weeks ago? Yeah, I was surprised it was as early as it was. I didn't expect Auburn to necessarily, you know, come out with a decision in advance. Um, you know, it seemed it seemed a little earlier than than most people expected, but you know, ultimately it was a good thing I think for Auburn to have. You know, full confidence that this is your guy and, you know, you get to practice for two weeks with him being your guy. That's a big thing for Auburn for sure is that, you know, they they got to work these last two weeks at quarterback or in this whole offense knowing, you know, hey, this is going to be our dude uh, at quarterback and, you know, still leaving it open for a guy like Robbie Ashford to be involved. I think it was a really good decision to be made and, and the timing was the timing was pretty, uh, pretty good, I think, um, instead of dragging it out. Justin, of all these positions in the in the fall, what what do you feel better about from the beginning of fall to now game week? Wh- which positions seem to stand out the most? Yeah, I think you know, in terms of who's done the best, I think um, from the beginning of fall camp to now, I, I would say you know probably the offensive line and just feeling like you've got some established depth there. Um, you know, the fact that. Isaiah Miller made a push to be a starter and could end up being the starter on Saturday against UMass uh, was pretty good because, you know, you, you'd love to have six, seven, eight guys you feel like could start for you at any moment. And I think that offensive line's really come along pretty strongly. And the other position group that I think surprisingly has done well in, in fall camp uh, is the edge rusher spot, Jack Linebacker. And Jalen McLeod isn't, hasn't been 100%, but he had a great camp when he, when he was healthy. Uh, and I think he's going to be a difference maker for Auburn this year. 
Stephen Sings, uh, Elijah McAllister, uh, just doing some veteran stuff that you need on the edge when you lost so much. And although I'm 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 skeptical about how good Auburn's run defense is going to be if they've they've shored up some of their problems on the interior there that they had last season, linebacker play has been iffy. Um, I do think that Jack linebacker spot is better off now than I think we thought it was going to be uh, at the start of fall camp. And so, you know, that that's a good sign for this team because you need, you need to have dudes who can get after the quarterback. Justin, talk about another position group is the, the wide receiver room. We, we kind of got a depth chart yesterday, but it kind of didn't from what Hugh Freeze said. And from what everything you've been hearing, what, what have been your thoughts uh, out of fall camp about the wide receiver room? Justin, are you there? Nope, oh, sorry. Y- y'all there? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Sorry about that. Yeah, I heard. Yeah, it cut out there for a little bit, but yeah, the, the wide receiver room is, is is fascinating to me because you know I feel like everybody who's a scholarship wide receiver is going to be involved. I mean, Malcolm Johnson Jr. is the one that you haven't seen or heard about much. He's been hurt, um, so I think that's the thing there for that group is that you've got a you've got a situation where they're just looking for people to create some separation. I think Shane Hooks probably is the furthest along, I guess, in terms of separating himself from the pack based on what he did in fall camp. Uh, but you've got Jay Farron, Javarius Johnson, and Caleb Burton all going to get reps, I think, at, at the slot. You've got Amari Kelly and Jair Shorter and Camden Brown and Nick Martin are on the outside in different roles. I mean, it's going to be kind of an all-hands-on-deck thing. And I think Auburn needs to use these first three games of the season before they get into SEC play. They need to find who they can trust at wide receiver in these first three games. If they can do that – you know, I think they'll be further along and, and, and be in a spot where they can get some momentum through the air uh, over, you know, the, the course of the season. Because I think it's going to be a work in progress. I think there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of new faces on offense. It's going to be a while for them to click fully and, and gel. And I think this could be a good kind of like establishing foundation year uh, more than anything. I think back to like, you think of Tennessee two years ago and how, you know, they showed the signs that they could get that passing game going in year one, and then in year two it takes off. I think that's kind of the scenario where you could see Auburn follow along. And for that to happen, they need their wide receivers to step up. But in terms of who's going to be the guy and who's not going to be the guy, I think it's all up for grabs. And I think these first few weeks are going to be really telling for that curve. Uh, well, kind of sticking with that passing game, uh, you know, that's the wide receiver. But then you look at that tight end room with uh, Rivaldo Fairweather, uh, but you still have Luke Dill there as well. Fairweather, kind of thinking he may be more that pass-catching type tight end. Luke Dill more is kind of your your stereotypical tight end, I guess you could say. Is that how you're seeing that, or how do you think Fairweather is going to play into this passing game? Yeah, absolutely. I think Fairweather is going to be a guy that could end up being one of your top receivers this season, uh, just being at the tight end position. Uh, you know, Rivaldo – Every time we saw him out there in practice and at fall camp, he was making plays. And, you know, I think that's the the, the explosiveness, the, the catch radius. That's something Auburn hadn't really had, had at the tight end position in a while. And I think they're going to want to use that to the fullest extent uh, this season. And Luke Deal, yeah, you want him on the field because, you know, he can catch the ball, he can run routes. But, man, it's it's the, the weapon that he is as a blocker uh, and as an inline guy, I think he's – and I think that second wave of tight ends is very similar. Tyler Fromm, or the receiver type, split him out wide, do a variety of things with him. Brandon Frazier, big guy, more of the blocker uh, at that position group. So uh, Michael Riley, probably a dude who can do both. Uh, be interesting to see how they can try to get him on the field this season as a young player. But, yeah, they've got these kind of roles and, and you, know, you know, set spots for these tight ends. And I don't see any of those four tight ends as four senior tight ends as like one of those, like, hey, he can do every single thing you want him to do 
at a really, really high level at tight end, and you got to play him, you know, all the snaps. Instead, I think it's going to be kind of an all-hands-on-deck thing, kind of like wide receiver as well. But I do think Rivaldo in the passing game has really separated himself from the pack there. Justin, going into week one here, Auburn versus UMass, it's not often that you get film on your week one opponent fresh that you don't have to look back at last season's film. How much of an advantage, I know Hugh Freeze was talk, uh, was asked about this, but how much of an advantage is it, especially with a UMass team that kind of looks a, a, a bit different this year? Yeah, no, I think it's an advantage because, yeah, UMass looks a lot different on, on, on offense than they did last year. This is a a team on offense that couldn't get really much of anything going. And then this year they got uh, they, they got the uh, transfer quarterback who originally was at Georgia Tech and at Clemson and uh, Tyson Palmache. And, and, like, he's, he's done a really good job, I thought, in week one or week zero, I should say, um, making plays. He's a, he's a good runner. He's hard to bring down. He can make throws. He's got that, he's got that pedigree from playing at, a, at, power five, at the Power 5 level. Um, they look different on offense, and, and it is not the same type of offense they ran last year. So that is an advantage. Your defense isn't going to be caught totally out by surprise when they're like, oh, wow, when did UMass start running all these RPOs? When did they start doing all the spread stuff? That's going to be an advantage. Defensively, uh, you know, Don Brown's defenses are, 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 are usually really aggressive. Uh, the thing about UMass last week is, you know, UMass's defense – um, they 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 forced turnovers and they and they scored off those turnovers. Uh, Twenty one points off of, off of three turnovers. If they don't do that, uh, you know it's probably a rough day for that defense because they average about like seven and a half yards per play allowed. Mexico State hit some shots on them, especially down the stretch of that game when they were trying to make a comeback. So, you know, I think for I think for this this team, Auburn got to learn a lot. You're going to see some differences on offense, and you're going to see a defense is going to be aggressive. They're going to gamble. They're going to try to try to do some things, try to snatch some possessions and steal some things uh, in Jordan Hare on Saturday. So ultimately I think it's a good thing for Auburn. Look, this is a team that wasn't supposed to be very good this year, one of the worst teams at FBS the last few years. I think they're better than we expected, and we saw that in week one. But also I think they took they did a really good job of taking advantage of some turnovers and kind of the surprise of a new offense. Um, if Auburn can take care of the ball, and tackle the quarterback. I think they could get you know a game like we had expected coming into it, uh, where they where they take care of it with ease. We're talking to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer today on Sports Call. A couple more more for you, Ferg. Here, uh, one more about UMass. I, I would think that whenever we look at lines to this, I mean, it's always very hard to determine when second strings come in, how much they're going to put up against a weaker opponent. I think the line's still something like 36. I think it moved down a point or two after UMass's victory over New Mexico State, but ultimately not consequential. So rather than a final score or that sort of thing, Ferg, what what should we be looking towards to the timing of when Auburn can get the second string in? And, and, and what to you in, in your mind would be a, a good part of the game to say, okay, Auburn achieved what they needed to achieve if they can get the first string out by what time? Yeah, if you're in the third quarter and you feel like you don't have your, your, you know, midway through the third quarter, early third quarter, and you're feeling like you don't have to, you know, really stress your starters any any, any much more than that, and you can get some get some reserves in. I think that's smart. You know, a lot of a lot of teams will want to, you know, even if you're blowing teams out, you might uh, go to halftime, feel good, come out, let them, let them have another drive or two in the second half, and then and then call the dogs off. I think that's a good. That's a good place to be at. You know, I, I wouldn't expect Auburn. I mean, if Auburn comes in and just blows the doors off of UMass and this looks like a game where they win by 
40, 50, you know, points, you know, I think that changes some things about, you know, how you view about how quickly this team can kind of come together. But what's more likely going to happen is that UMass is going to be stingier than people thought they were going to. Auburn's going to be a work in progress, especially on offense, getting some time and down. I wouldn't expect it to click early. But if you feel like you're in control of this game and you feel like you're going to be able to take care of business and, and, and it's already put away by the you know middle of the third quarter, I think that's a good sign for Auburn. And then, Justin, as we try to learn, and you alluded to it a little bit right there, as we try to learn about this team, and look, to some degree you don't even – Know what you need to know even after the Cal game in week two, but what can we try to look towards uh, trying to figure out just clues on where this team might be headed uh, as far as even though it's a UMass team that's well below that of an SEC team, it looked clearly better than what they were going to be last year, but what can we try to decipher and get clues on uh, on Auburn's play on, on Saturday? I think week one is going to be about determining who Auburn can trust, whether that is the amount of running backs they want to use, who's going to step up a wide receiver and tight end, what's the offensive line they prefer the most, can their defensive has their defensive front improved, how many guys are they going to rotate there, uh, defensive backs, you know, how much are they going to use some of the guys behind those veteran senior starters uh, that we know are going to be out there. I think that's the big thing for me as personnel. Like who is playing? Who does? Who can they trust right now? And it's not a it's not a done deal. You know, if you don't get very many snaps in week one, doesn't mean it's over for you. Guys can get better and develop and, and, and improve throughout the year. I think that's the one thing we don't talk about or, you know, I think in college football it gets brushed aside too often is like every game is different and, and guys can get better. Teams can get better and evolve and adapt. So, you know, the makeup of this team will change throughout the season. But I will be interested to see, hey, week one, all these new faces, all these new players, new coaches, new schemes, who do they trust right now, and who do they like? Because in a week from now, you're about to go to a Cal team that, you know, it's not a great team on paper, but that's a Power 5 team you're playing away from uh, away from home, uh, and, and you're going to have to play a solid to good game to come out of there with a win. Um, if that's the case, like, who, who can you trust for that game? And I think this UMass game is a good way to determine who, who they got, you know, early in the year. And then, Justin, finally, a little bit more of a different question here. Uh, not necessarily Auburn-related. I saw the headline today that apparently the uh, ACC and ESPN are going to work to put some games in movie theaters, apparently, in ACC markets. I know that obviously you're working each Saturday covering the game, but let's say you were available. Would you have any interest in watching a college football game in a movie theater? Because it's like, you know, there are people who love, like, the social element of watching college football where you go to a go to a bar, you go to a restaurant and watch a game, you have a good time. So it, this is a different way of kind of doing that. It's interesting, like, there are a lot of wrestling, like, pay-per-views that do this now where you can watch that in a, a movie theater, and I, I kind of get it. Like, it's kind of a feel. Football may be a little different because there's a lot of downtime and a lot of commercial breaks and and, you know, uh, it, you know, the good thing about college football, I think, um, especially especially this time of year, is, you know, you watch a college football game, you're going to want to be able to keep your eyes on other stuff, whether it's the quarter break, TV timeouts, halftime. You want to be able to bounce around. So watching a game in a movie theater, I think you're probably going to limit yourself just to one thing, and that, I think, can kind of take some of the fun out of what Saturday can be in college football. But it's interesting to see if they get, they get any success with it because I, I know – for big events, uh, that is that has become a really popular thing. Yeah, it does fascinate me a little bit. I'm a frequent movie goer too, and 
Uh, it seems like it could work, but also, as you just point out, the ability to flip to other games when you are at home and the environment, that that, that is an interesting uh, problem to have there. Well, we certainly appreciate the time today, Justin. Tell our listeners, as always, on the Auburn Observer what's going on here in the coming days. Yeah, AuburnObserver.com, check it out. we got a lot of stuff coming uh, these next few days. Uh, you know, had a story up today on uh, Eugene Asante and Griffin Speaks, two of the biggest surprise names of that depth chart and this defense. Uh, heading into week one. Uh, got a story on the wide receivers up yesterday. A podcast up today. Tomorrow we're doing our bonus podcast by popular demand. Uh, Dan and I went through a question that we get a lot this time of year, which is, hey, I'm coming to Auburn. Uh, I haven't been to Auburn in a while. Where do I need to eat? So we got a ton of uh, restaurant recommendations and a bonus podcast tomorrow. Game preview on Thursday. Uh, I'm doing a 2013 look-back series for the 10th anniversary. I'm going to do uh, a newsletter every week about the 2013 season. That first one's going to drop Thursday morning. Uh, mailbag on Friday. We'll have uh, observations and, and film room and a recap and all that good stuff over the weekend at the Observer. So perfect time to sign up, AuburnObserver.com. Still running the special, $4 a month or $40 a year. Cheapest price you're ever going to get it. Uh, so sign up now, and we email everything to you uh, most mornings around 6 a.m. Central Time. Well, he's Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. Justin, as always, we really appreciate the time. We're excited that football's back. There's a lot of stuff to uh, look at in the Auburn Observer, as you just said, so it's a great time to sign up, and uh, we certainly hope people do that. And, again, we really appreciate the time today. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. That is Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us today on Sports Call. Again, just days away from the season opener, Auburn and UMass. We're going to take one final timeout. Back to wrap up hour number one in just a moment. Listening to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. This is Andy Burcham, voice of the Auburn Tigers, and you're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday. Again, big thanks to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining us on the program today. Again, guys, one of the questions I asked there at the end is something I always struggle with when you're playing these smaller teams is how much do we really learn? Is it is it really a no-sum game where – you win by 30, 40 points, great. Good for you, awesome, great. You win by 7 or 14 points, whoa, you know, bad news coming. I, I just, 
like I don't want to like it's it's not a nothing game. We only get twelve of these. Like I, I certainly am so excited for it. I'm excited for football to be back. But it's just so hard to know whatever you see if it's going to translate when you're in the trenches against three, four, five top ten, top fifteen right. teams throughout the year. Uh, I, I think I think it translates more if you struggle against those teams. Now, obviously, if you blast them out of the water, well, you're supposed to do that, and so. Yeah, it's hard to learn. I mean, if you if you beat if you beat UMass fifty to nothing, it's like okay, sure. You know they're terrible. You 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 beat a you beat the worst team in college football. Congratulations. We still don't know anything. If this turns into a Georgia State type situation where you're just desperately hoping that you get a miracle at the end against the worst team in college football. Then you will go back. You will learn about this team. You will be able to actually then see, like, wow, this team is really struggling here. This team is really struggling here. And I think you kind of—that's where those games come into play. Is if if it's a if it's a Georgia State deal or a Jacksonville State deal or a Utah State deal where you're recovering an onside kick to to save your life. You know those types of things. Um, that that's that's where things I feel like translate more because those usually tell a lot. You you don't see a team of Auburn's caliber or a, a high-caliber team. You don't typically see them struggle against the likes of a UMass and then do perfectly fine. That usually doesn't happen. Usually if you struggle against a team like that, then they're gonna you're going to see the struggles on the rest of the way, typically. Yeah, um, there was one outlier. Because you're, you're, I mean, again, a 15 was Jacksonville State game. Yeah, not a great year. Right. Last year or two years ago, whatever it was. Yeah, two years ago, right. wasn't it? Uh, Georgia State game. Utah State, uh, the, the, first, the first game after the national championship yep. season was yep. uh, eight and five. You had to recover an onside kick. Right. Wasn't the worst thing we've ever seen, but not a great team. The only exception was 2017 when they only beat Mercer, I think, like 27-13 right. or something like that. They had six or seven turnovers, right. and that team goes 10-2, and beats sure. Georgia, beats Bama, goes to the SEC title game. So even then, it's not perfect, but I agree that the, the, un- the unfortunate thing is it's just a fact. You can do as well as you want to against UMass. It's not going to mean you're going to do great in the SEC. Right. However, it's more likely if you do bad, that will translate. Right. I agree. Right. There, there's, there is the outlier, but, yeah, typically – Typically, if you're struggling against that type of team, then it, it's a it's a bad omen for the for the rest of the way. It, just, it, it typically lines up that way. It's just interesting because Brooks. I mean, you've got three games here where you can almost put them all in the same category. Cal, to a degree, is a, it's it's a tier above UMass and Sanford. Yeah, but it's still maybe not. Like hey, you beat Cal by twenty points. So you're going to go ten and two now, or nine and three now. That, that doesn't guarantee that. Same thing to you. I mean, you got. Almost three of the, almost yeah. a quarter of the season until you really get into the games that actually start to define your team and or give you clues about how the team's going to go through all twelve. Well, I think you know in, in a typical year, and I I agree with with what your you guys sentiment where it's if you're struggling against a team like this, it does not set up for for positive things down the road. I mean, you you do have you know sometimes there you get a lucky day. Sometimes you're you're out there and it's you know I, I went back and looked. I, I mentioned this in the um, in our pre, uh, season previews about uh, we were talking about somebody playing Army, uh, but Army took Michigan 2019 to double overtime 
24-21. Michigan ended up winning that game. Double overtime against Army at your at the Big House probably shouldn't happen, but you went on to win nine games that year. So they it it's not always sure, but when when you're looking at you know it, there's certain time there's sometimes where a team comes out and it's just their day. And you you get on the field against them, and it's it they can't they can do nothing wrong. It's like the what was it twenty eighteen seventeen Auburn played Mercer and had four I turnovers. Just that up. You did, uh, yeah. <laughs> I was looking for the Michigan thing, but it, yeah. you you have the outlier yeah. games where you could have four turnovers uh, and, and struggle and and still win the football game. I think what you're really looking for in these games is the 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 big part is fundamentals you want the team and it's like Nick Saban always talks about when you know he Nick Saban gets the maddest in the non-conference games when they're up by 25 points 30 points and his team is not executing properly you you don't that's what that's what you're looking for in these games is proper execution you you don't want to find yourself in a situation where you make the ESPN highlights for something bad like Florida did where blocking each other blocking blocking your own teammates yeah you Stay out of the not top ten. Yeah, it's, yes. Let's let's do that. We are out of time for hour number one. Coming up in hour number two, some of your phone calls on the Auburn Bank phone line at 334-887-3401 locally or toll free one triple eight nine tiger nine. We also have a sports call five at five a little bit later. Have a Braves thought or two after what happened in Colorado last night. Stay tuned. More sports call coming up after this. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. This is Brant Daughtry, voice of the Smith Station Panthers, inviting you to join me, Walter Northcutt, and the rest of the broadcast crew for another exciting season of Panther football on FM Talk 93.9. The Panthers are led by first-year head coach Bryant Garrison and are poised for a big year on the gridiron. Coverage of the Panthers begins 30 minutes before kickoff every game day, so don't miss a single second of Smith Station football action on FM Talk 93.9. Brought to you by Chevron with Tecron, Kenny Knox Tire Center, May Refrigeration, and Glenn Smith Chevrolet GMC in Opelika. Get ready to smile. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two starting right now, Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Tom Peavy. In the Tiger Communications studios. If you ever miss anything of the show, any segment, any interview like the Justin Ferguson interview from hour number one, go check it out in the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca Cola. 334-887-3401 locally or toll free one triple eight nine Tiger Nine and join us on the Auburn Bank phone line this afternoon. We go to the Auburn Bank phone line now. Ward Dam Steve. Retire Ward Dam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you this afternoon? It's the most wonderful time of the year. Oh, that's that's beautiful. It's football season. Let's go. That's right. Well, I thought I'd follow up. 
uh, with some humor to uh, Brooke Shooter's comment that he thought it was the most wonderful time of the year. Right, Brooke? It is. <laughs> I'll stand okay, by it. I, I promise I won't do that because I don't want to hurt your ratings. I will, I will not attempt to sing again, okay? Hey, it wasn't that bad. Problem. That wasn't bad. I, I can't do better. I promise you that. All right. Well, I enjoyed listening to comments uh, from Mr. Justin Ferguson. And uh, did he seem a little bit more optimistic, or did I just want to hear that about the defensive line? You know, I think he is. I think he's optimistic with the, with the also with the opinion that it had it had a lot of work to do, right? And I think that you could still, uh, to be quite frank, the the rush defense was actually so bad that you could be better, but still kind of be below average because I mean it was around 100 or so last year so you get better and move up into like the 70s or, or something like that so I think he's optimistic for improvement I don't think it necessarily means that it ends up being a strength of the team yeah uh, and again your comments are will have a lot of merit to them. you know when you play these kind of teams it's not a win-win situation uh, for any major uh, conference program whether it's Auburn Alabama you know, if you blow them out, everybody said, well, they should have blown it out, right? Yeah. If you don't blow them out, it says, uh-oh, uh, why was the game so close, right? And you sure don't want to lose to them. Yeah, I mean, look, I, again, I, I understand these games have to happen. My preferred schedule model when we hopefully get to nine games is having nine conference games one day, having one power five opponent, and then having two of these type of games instead of three or four. Some teams even almost play four. Uh, and so, look, I, I think that you still have value to get on the field, and, and I've, I've, I've talked about it before here in recent days where, look, at least with a new coaching staff, I, I think it's this is the type of year to have, have, a, have a weak start like this. This is the type of year to have uh, a, a lesser power five opponent, to have a couple of, uh, of low teams before your first conference game. Like, this is the year for that as you learn – the new system as you learn the new coaching staff and all that sort of thing. But again, uh, as we've just t- said, look, if we're trying to find the answers to if Auburn's going to end up upsetting Alabama this year or or have a, a better than expected year, have a nine-win type of year, we're, we're not going to really have those answers uh, in the affirmative just from these these first couple of games. And, you know, you're, you're exactly uh, expressing my sentiments because uh, there are too many, unfortunately, uh, my biases tend to remember the bad things. Uh, but there are too many of these opening games uh, I've seen from various Auburn coaches in which our team comes out uh, lackadaisical, to put it mildly, or maybe like the walking dead, and you're waiting, uh-oh, uh, what are we doing here? Only winning by one point in the fourth quarter, right? Yeah, I mean, that certainly happens sometimes. Again, a lot of that's due to the newness of everything. I think that, like, for example, when you had Gus in 2013 with – Washington State like that wasn't a nothing program that was I, I know Washington State for a power five program was very low but there's also Mike Leach Washington State so it wasn't the worst thing uh in the world and so Auburn had a tough time with that Auburn was expected to win by a few touchdowns that was a very close game to the end uh well, the, well, you remember Mercer that game right well and that was in 2017 you know I I, I know you were talking about the newness of coaches there too yeah, Mercer Mercer is actually like the one outlier in terms of hey, this team was not any good. Auburn played a close game with them, and but then ended up having a perfectly good season because that was the, the year Auburn went to the SEC title game and and beat Georgia and Bama there to to end the season going into the title game. So that year ended up being perfectly fine. Uh, but but the other years that Tom was going through earlier, there's still more examples of of it of it being 
uh, foreshadowing of a, of a less than stellar season. And the reason I bring those up, and thank you for even mentioning these things, is that you know I'm tired after what I'm 72 years old after watching uh, and attending Auburn football games over 50 years. I'm tired of seeing Auburn, you know, uh, having to play down to their component to their opponents. I want to see Auburn just beat the crap out of people uh, when they're set to beat the crap out of them, you know, and not struggle. And we have not had a history of doing that, uh, or very, very rarely. And that's I'm hoping that's what this this new program, these new coaching assistants and Q3s are going to be. Show me that you can beat the crap out of teams, you know, and leave no questions or doubts that it's going to happen. Right. And look, I mean, if I was if I was going uh, through it with a, a, a fine comb, I mean, look, Auburn still has crushed teams too. I mean, like the, the, they've even crushed some SEC teams from time to time. I mean, even in 2016, they had a couple games like against Mississippi State and Arkansas where they – uh, definitively, but not year after year. It's not way well, right. Sure, beat the crap out of people. Alabama Bear Bryant's teams beat the crap out of people. You expect it, and you got it. Well, sure, but also that's the difference in in awesome coaching, elite coaches, and just decent coaches, or that sort of thing. I mean, that's part of I, 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 that. That all feeds into hopefully finding a better coach than what Auburn's had because. The, the reality is you don't produce those 10-win teams every single year, so you're going to be closer to the middle of the pack some years. You're going to have more outlier performances that are weaker, and uh, so everything that, that goes into that part of it. So, uh, look, I mean, if they start to – it won't mean everything, but if they start to crush lower lower teams more, it, it might bode well. Uh, but, but, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's also because elite coaches don't have as many hiccups there. But still, even, uh, you know, every, every, every team – I think Georgia had a weird one against, like, Kent State or something last year. They only beat by, like, 18 or 19, and it's close in the third quarter. So, like, it can – again, I don't, I don't read too much into it if it happens once or twice. But, yeah, if it happens every other year, then that's, that's a different story. Yeah, I guess I want to see will this program be different than previous you know, program coaches. You know, uh, Tuffville was notorious for losing two games at least out of the season to teams that they weren't supposed to lose to. Okay, uh, moving on, guys. Uh, fun stuff here. Atlanta's Nick, Alabama's Nick Saban, uh, according to Spun, names his favorite musical artist. Have you seen that article? Uh, favorite musical artist? I think I have seen some of them. I, I don't know if I saw Saban's though. Yeah, well, they have a whole list here. It comes from Brett McMurphy. Uh, and, uh, who do you think Nick Saban picked as his favorite uh, musical artist? Oh, I don't, I don't know. That, was it like Mumford and Sons or something? Well, now, remember, remember how old he is, right? He's close to my age. I don't Led Zeppelin or something? I, I don't know. Close. The oh, Rolling Stones. Oh, Rolling Stones. Okay. Yeah. I, if you care to know, Arkansas's Pittman likes Aerosmith. Yeah. Okay. Hugh Freeze, who do you think he picked? I saw the, I saw this one. It was uh, it was Eric Church. Yeah, I didn't know who yeah. he is because I, I don't listen to uh, the country artist. Uh, yeah. Pretty big country yeah. artist, yeah. All right. Uh, Bill Napier, Coldplay. Yep, good one. Kirby Smart, Luke Bryan. Okay, another big country artist. Right. Mark Stoops, Co- Toby Keith. Country artist. Brian Kelly picked Bruce Springsteen. Okay. Good throwback. And Mississippi State's Zach Arnett, Led Zeppelin. Okay, there you go. I knew there was somebody had picked Zeppelin. Drinkowitz picked Eric Church also. Okay. 
Lane Kiffin. Who do you think he picked, guys? Oh, I saw this one. It's Taylor too. Swift. Yeah, it was Taylor Swift. Yep. Yeah, Taylor Swift. Okay. Huh. Uh, Shane Beamer, Darius Rucker. Is that a country artist? Yeah, he. Uh, well, who do you in the Blowfish? Yeah. He's from Columbia. He's a huge South Carolina supporter. Yeah, he has been a, yeah. ever since he broke up with Hootie and the Blowfish. He's been a country artist for the last 15, 20 years. Yeah. Yep, he okay. started with Hootie and the Blowfish. But yeah, so. big time South Carolina guy. And Tom, you kept saying Mumford and Sons. Well, that's Josh Heupel's uh, favorite artist. Yeah, I knew so. I knew Jim Mumford and Sons was on there with somebody. What about Jimbo Fisher? Who do you think he picked? I don't know. I, don't I know. can't remember who I saw for him. Country artist George Strait. Okay. And this person I did not know until my uh, daughter told me, uh, but Vanderbilt's coach, it, someone named C A A M P Camp. Shut up. Yeah, I don't, don't know that one. Okay, yeah, you'll, I don't know. you know who that is? I don't have a clue. Yeah. No? Okay, neither did I. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on to the more interesting uh, topics. And, Tom, you may want to do uh, maybe uh, some episodes on this one, uh, but this comes from the a website called middlefloss.com. You ever been there? Uh, I, I've been to it. I don't frequent it, but I have been to that before. Well, this was a good one that came up to my attention. I said, wow, this is neat. How all 32 NFL teams got their names. Ah. And how they maybe didn't get the original names. So uh, just for a teaser, I'll give you Atlanta Falcons. How do you think they got their name, guys? I know I'm not going to have any clue. Yeah, I, I don't know. Well, I was around then. It was a radio station, a local radio station in Atlanta, was sponsoring a contest to name the team. And I'm reading it here, too. I remember this. 1,300 people said combined to suggest more than 500 names, including the following names. Peaches, Vibrants, Lancers, Confederates, Firebirds, and Thrashers were some of the names. Now, a school teacher was the winner. Her name is Julia Ellett of nearby Griffin, I guess, um, high school. Anyway, uh, she was the declared winner of the contest. And here's the reason they picked the Falcons, because that's what she picked. They said that, she said the Falcon is proud and dignified with great courage and fight. She went on to write, it never drops its prey, it is deadly, and has great sporting tradition. So guess what she won for being the, uh, the chosen winner of the Atlanta Falcons day? Season tickets. I don't know. <laughs> pretty pretty close. She won four season tickets. Oh, four season tickets. Well, good for her. Yeah. But only for three years. Oh, wow. I thought it'd been a lifetime since the As Falcons long as they season. used the Falcons, I would have I would have said, yeah. yeah. And also, but they also gave her this, a football autograph by the entire 66 inaugural team. Nice. Okay. Okay, so if you didn't know it, now you, you do. You do now. All right. Now, here's one for uh, for you, Mr. Tom Peeves, who likes all this weird stuff, right? Okay. Well, this is the weirdest of the weirdest. Uh, this one I said, oh, i got to mention this one. This comes from the Manchester World, uh, courtesy of Yahoo News. There is a World Gravy Wrestling Championship. Did you know that? World Gravy Wrestling? That's correct. A World Gravy Wrestling Championship. Huh. And it's made its uh, message return, it says here, to delight the fans once again. It takes place in Lancaster, uh, or Lancashire, England. Um, and it takes place in a pub garden, okay? It took place, in fact, on Bank Holiday Monday, this past Monday. Uh, it's an international competition, by the way, it says here. It's named one of the top of the top ten weirdest sports. So 16 men and 8 women battle in a soft-soaked ring. Now, I don't know how many, two, how many, how much is, is this in gallons or what? 2,000 liters of gravy were used at the event. 
That's a lot. It's good gravy. It's a real gravy. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, anyway, it occurred in Rosendale, Lancashire, at a pub. All right, and here's what you had to do. The competitors wear fancy dress, uh, and by beating their opponent in a two-minute-long wrestling match in the brown condiment. Yep. By the way, that, by the way, that's about 528 gallons. Wow. Yeah. That's five, a lot of gravy. Yeah, 528.3 gallons of gravy is 2,000 liters. So, it's a lot well, of gravy. Yeah, it is. The four experienced judges make uh, decide who the winner is based on their wrestling skills and how they're dressed. Okay, so I took I looked at some of these photos. You've got to go to this website and get it. Anyway, uh, I don't know if my parents started, would allow that. <laughs> the event started in 2007 <laughs> okay. and is now featured in the Guinness Book of World Records. Hmm. Now they the, the they they raise money for the Lancashire Hospitals uh, Hospice Program there, uh, but they also raise uh, funds for their own chosen charity. I said, when I saw this, I said, I got to tell you guys, because this is a really weird. I've never even knew there was a championship gravy uh, cup World Indeed. Uh, Wrestling Championship. Well, hey, there, there's so many sports. All you got to do is watch the Ocho whenever they're showing that. And, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that's on there. I mean, they have they have tag competitions. I don't know if you've seen that on ESPN. It's like a, you, you set up, there's all these obstacles, and, and you're basically set up on one end, and the guy runs, and you're trying to tag him. And it's a tag competition. And then they've got, like, ping pong, except you use a soccer ball on your feet. And it, okay, there, there's all sorts of weird stuff. As, as, as official championship? Oh, yeah. These, these are these are actually sanctioned events. I mean, okay. yeah. Well, I, I mean, I know there's mud wrestling, but I never knew that there was a, a gravy wrestling. Oh, I mean, there's jello wrestling and <laughs> whipped cream and wrestling. By the Guinness Book of World Records. Okay, yeah. finally, guys. I love seeing this, and I know I've had you over the um, uh, before the show came on, Ron. Uh, the two guys that tried to embrace uh, Mr. Acuna, how did they first? How did they get into the field? Is what got me uh, without being stopped. Yeah, look, I mean, you can I, I can see how you get onto the field because there, there's not it's not like there's a person patrolling every single row of seats there. It's how quickly you react once somebody gets in, getting on the field. Because, I mean, if they think about it, like, if you sat, and please no one do this. I'm not encouraging this whatsoever. But you could easily get on to Jordan-Hare Stadium from, from the from the crowd. You would just hop well, down. Well, Ryan, excuse me, I've tried that, you know, of course, with some of the games. And uh, what I recall, there was a bunch of, you know, uh, police, all law enforcement, right. you know, and they were just waiting for people to try and do it. But, of course, after so many thousand people you know went over the field and they gave up right they, I mean I know they have them all on the walls yeah but I'm just saying like if you're when I mean they then you're technically not supposed to but also who's gonna I mean that many people who's gonna stop you I'm just talking about like if you're actually in the middle of play like they they don't because they don't put all those officers out there for the entire game there's some but it's not to that degree because they're trying to prepare for the the, the field storming so, like, you could during the game, but then one of those guys will get you still pretty quickly. So, again, if you technically can get onto the field. You're just going to get, you know, beat, <laughs> beaten up pretty good pretty quickly. So, again, it's not, it's not the act of actually getting on the field. It's that he actually was ma- able to make it all the way to Acuna and then someone else ran on the field and how many guys it was required to, to take those two guys down. It was crazy. Yeah, that's what got me. The first guy I could see sneaking, 
but then how does the second guy get all the way to the, to the uh, middle of the field uh, as well? How, how, how do you do that? It's remarkable. Yeah, I mean, I guess everyone's attention's on the one guy that are already got out there, so <laughs> he tried to take his window of opportunity. And I guess we don't know what the repercussions was of that. He'll probably get some not fine a, and maybe jail time. Yeah, not officially. I think usually you have to spend overnight in jail. I don't know if there's actually like a service time other than just like, you know, just they're staying the night. There will be a fine, and he'll probably uh, – I'll, I'll say more than even probably. He will be barred from, from ever going to a Rockies game again. He, he will never be allowed back in that stadium. Okay. Well, that's all I got, guys. Hey, thank you for your time. Enjoy uh, the uh, Justin Ferguson episode. So I'll plan to listen to the rest of it uh, tonight on the, on the podcast. And, you know, I don't know, uh, Ryan, or who else does this, but I appreciate the podcast. And I have no clue of how time-consuming it is, labor-intensive it is. Uh, but I'd love to hear from you guys who do that, you know, what that's involved, because I just take it for granted, you know, and maybe other listeners don't. But, you know, sometimes, you know, when you are just used to listening to podcasts, you have no clue, at least I don't, as how labor-intensive and what's all involved in doing this. I'd, I'd like to hear from you guys when you get a chance. All right, with that said, guys, um, my time's up. I always thank you for your time. Uh, you have a safe afternoon and evening, and we'll uh, – Go at this again tomorrow. Until then, War Eagle, guys. War Eagle, Steve. Appreciate your phone call as always. That is Retire Ward AM Steve joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Yeah, I can tell you that our sports call podcast presented by Coca-Cola. I can tell Steve this off there too. But, um, I mean, again, it is uh, all these guys participate in doing that. I, I really ever, never do it. It is Brooks and and Cam and TP and Brand, all those guys, they uh, they spend an extra half hour or so after the show getting everything up in order. We do have some software that makes it a little a uh, little quicker at times, but uh, sometimes it also takes that software itself takes a little time. So uh, they definitely stay here after the show for for a few minutes, putting that up each and every day. And we are certainly grateful that they do that. We're going to take our next timeout of the show. When we come back, want to talk a little bit about the, that uh, Braves ordeal last night. And, heck, just talk about how well the Braves continue to play. That's, I think that's perfectly acceptable, too. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. Tiger Weather, brought to you by Auburn University Credit Union. Want more Sports Call? Check us out online at sportscallauburn.com. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Brooks Childress with you here on this Tuesday edition of Auburn's First and Auburn's Favorite Sports Talk Show. Coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, we'll have a Sports Call 5 at 5. That will be Auburn football related as 
We continue to count down to the beginning of the year. Four more days, Auburn and UMass inside of Jordan-Hare Stadium. Fortunately, not forecasted to be an overly hot day. I think mid-80s. I think that is acceptable for the opening weekend of September. So excited about that. Also, college football coming up on Thursday, so we'll uh, continue to have more college football thoughts here in just a little bit. But as said before that break, I want to talk a little bit about the Braves and just about the rare, kind of odd game that happened last night in Colorado. Again, there's not a lot of times where you just want to talk about one particular game in the course of 162, especially not against the team as bad as the Rockies. However, it was notable because of how good Ronald Acuna Jr. played and because of the fact that Ronald Acuna Jr. had some friends in right field, some unwelcomed friends in right field. And I believe the seventh inning, sixth inning, something like that, if you just heard the, the conversation on the Auburn Bank phone line with retired Wardy and Steve, then you, you know what we're talking about or if you watched the game last night. But two fans entered the field uh, at Coors Field in Denver, and one ended up kind of hugging Ronald, like would not let go, which – that's a microcosm of all Braves country. We all love Ronald. We love to give him a hug. But the other person like came in like barreling in there and kind of like ended up looked like maybe causing Acuna to fall. I don't know if he flat out shoved him or just kind of made contact, but caused Acuna to fall. The second fan, uh, and, and so I, I don't I don't know exactly, but Acuna ended up on the ground after the second fan arrived. And so, really weird circumstance. Security was a little slow to react, but also they're just having trouble getting those two people away from him, basically. Uh, but just a very rare, very rare, and just odd circumstance, and a little concerning. Uh, yeah, well, very odd, rare, but also very dangerous. Um, so, what I was going to say though, where Acuna fell, so you had the first guy came out. And just basically wrapped Acuna up in a hug. Right, he was hugging him. You had two security guys come out. There was one security guy that had the guy up high trying to pry him off. Another security guy got on his on the ground and had the dude wrapped around his legs. When the second guy came in, the second fan, he bumped Acuna, and then he fell over the security guard that was on the ground. So that's how Acuna ended up falling is he basically just tripped over the – security guy that was on the ground trying to subdue the other the other guy um uh, so so the first thing i'm going to say is is that is unacceptable period you that is just completely unacceptable on the fan side to do that also unacceptable that security allowed that to happen i mean you you have to be able to monitor the you have to monitor those seats and prevent those guys from getting on the field that that second of all, that's also unacceptable. The danger side of it is how scary it is. The fact that, yeah, the, these stadiums have security places, our security measures in place to prevent weapons from coming in. We've even seen it just at SEC media days, trying to get into a non-sporting event, trying to get into a stadium. For instance, two years ago, we were trying to go into uh, into Mercedes Benz during SEC media days for a media function. We're not going to a game or anything, and we're just media. We're not going to hurt anybody. I had a pocket knife. They would not let me through that security with a pocket knife to a non-sporting event to just a media gathering, a little pocket knife that I just completely forgot I even had in my pocket. It would not let me through with that for that. So there are security measures. 
But things happen. You mentioned earlier, a woman somehow got a, a firearm into a White Sox game uh, just a couple weeks ago and accidentally shot herself. Somehow she got in with a gun. If you're really hell-bent on hurting somebody, you can fashion a weapon out of something that is non-metallic. They do that in prison all the time. So, yeah, you, it's scary the fact that those two guys got that close and had that type of access to him for that long before security was able to act because if they were intent on hurting him, they would have hurt him. He would have been hurt. He would have been injured or worse by the time the security got out there. And so that the security there at, at, uh, at Coors Field dodged a huge, huge bullet there by those guys just apparently wanting to get a hug. But you just don't know. I mean, you can't <laughs> have that happen. You just can't have that happen. Uh, so fortunately, it worked out okay. But it's very scary situation when you think of things that have happened before. Uh, I mean, uh, was it Steffi Graf? The, was it who the tennis player? No, no. Um, it was not Steffi Graf. Uh, female tennis player uh, at a tournament. The guy came down and stabbed her. Uh, very famous tennis player. Uh, in the middle, I, in the I, middle I'm of the I'm not familiar match. with this incident. I can name you Martina Navratilova, Billie Jean King, and Maria Sharapova. Serena Williams. Know. Yeah. Uh, Margaret Court. Is that her person? Margaret, I think. Uh, Steffi Graf. Monica Sellis. Monica Sellis. Okay. Mon- yeah. So Monica Sellis got stabbed um, in 1993. Dang. Yeah. I was not aware of that. Yeah. So. There have been incidences. You also had an incident in a baseball game where two guys came down and attacked the first base coach and started punching him and beat a first base coach up. I want I almost want to say it was the White Sox, but uh, it wasn't at a Thunder Chickens game. It was definitely not Thunder Chickens yeah, game. It's not us. But there, but there have been some incidences. Like I said, Monica Sellis had a fan come down and stab her. Uh, you had guys rush the field and beat up a first base coach and and gave him permanent hearing loss. So. It, it, you can't just sit there and say, oh, well, of course, they were just going for a hug. You know, this kind of stuff doesn't happen. No, it has happened. It has yeah. absolutely happened that there are crazy people out there will get out there on the field and try to hurt one of these guys. And so it, it's it, it, that can't happen. And, and I'm sure whoever that whoever is in charge of that security detail there at, uh, uh, at Coors Field, I'm sure their higher-ups had a meeting there's probably going to be some guys lose their job over this because, again, you, you have a job. <laughs> Your job is to not let somebody on the field. And guess what? You let somebody on the field. And not only that, they didn't just go streaking across the field. They went and made physical contact with one of the players out there. So you don't have a job anymore. That's like, do not pass go. Do not collect $200. You don't have a job. Like, you not only failed at your job, you could have just had a player get viciously injured right in front of everybody. So, scary situation all around. I'm just just glad it didn't turn out to be a bad one. You didn't just let one player on the – or one person on the field. You let three, apparently, because I I don't know if y'all – you know, you had the one that went up there. And Acuna, after the game, said that they were both – the two that got to him – 
were just looking for a quote a selfie. The guy that wrapped his arm around it, you saw him have the phone in his hand. If you watch the video, he's got a phone in his hand. He's trying to get a selfie. And then the other one apparently was wanting a selfie too, but he was a little a little more aggressive at, w- yeah. with it. <laughs> um, and then there was apparently a third one down the oh, right field line. Third, yeah. uh, I, it, it's out, the broadcast last night was talking about a third one. The the Braves radio network last night was talking about a third one down the right field line, but he didn't get any like he got to the line, and that was as far as he got. He didn't get anywhere. He didn't get onto the field the into the the actual in play area, um, but. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's not not a not a good look. Nope. Uh, Cunha seemed fine with it. He was just you know he he got knocked over and then he was like just sitting there like watching what was going on. He didn't try to like scramble away. He was just sitting there like all right, cool. And then he I think he still was like the guy the the first guy when they were carrying him off. He was still like yelling for a selfie. And I think Acuna was like reaching for the phone and be like, "Here, I'll take a picture of you." Know, like, what do you, no, Ronald. And then his, his, the other it's like players, he didn't know what to do in yeah, the situation. His teammates had to come over and say, "No, no, 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 no! Come on, come on, come on! We'll we'll, we'll walk back over this way." And so, it's a it, scary situation. Fun, uh, not fun situation. No, no. Uh, funny a little bit. There, there. You know, you you would have to think that uh, alcohol. May have been involved in in the uh, in the proceedings. I just want to know the second guy that ran out there. You already have the security surrounding, you know, around Acuna, and you come sprinting out there. What's going through your mind to say, "Oh, you know what? I can now make this happen." Let's go to the Auburn Bank phone line three three four eight eight seven three four zero one locally or toll free one triple eight nine Tiger nine. Tony from Tuskegee. Tony is with us. Tony, how are you this afternoon? Hey, how y'all gentlemen doing? It's doing very. Yes, sir. Doing very well. Yeah. But that same thing happened with Hank Aaron and back when he was getting ready to break the home run record, Babe Ruth record. They came on some y'all might be too young to remember that. No, we've all seen it. Yeah, yeah, the fans that were on the field that were running the bases with him. Um, and and that was da- that was also dangerous because Hank Aaron had uh, had had a lot of death threats from uh, white supremacists and things about him breaking the record, so that was scary. But also in those days, hey Tony, t- uh, turn your radio down because you're getting a lot of feedback. Yep, thank you. There we go. Thank you. Yep. Um, you know there there were death threats. It was definitely dangerous for those guys to be on the field, but. Uh, uh, you know, and I there was violence in the country in in those times when Hank Aaron hit that, no. but it, but it, it, it didn't feel like we we're as, as violent of a society as we are now. It just seems no. like violence is a lot more rampant than it was back then. People used to go on the field all the time uh, yeah. back in the day. If you you if you won a World Series, the fans would rush the field, and I mean. That was just kind of a normal thing back then, but because we have gotten so dangerous as a society, they've had to keep fans off the field. And you know, unfortunately, this situation happened last night that could have been really bad. Oh yeah, last night. I mean, those guys probably was fired before the game was over. I I'd imagine there's some security detail that are sitting at home. Uh, looking yeah. through the help wanted ads right now. Yeah, well, I got two other things almost mentioned. I, I, I just got a question. Uh, Jay Lamiro in Alabama, everybody was, everybody talked about him, but wasn't he was a five star coming out of high school and probably one of the, I think it was the number one or number two dual threat 
quarterback in the country. But now, how many other quarterbacks in the country or any other school would have started before Bryce Young? Uh, how many quarterbacks in the country would have? Would have... How many other quarterbacks in the country, probably any other school Bryce Young was in, would have started before him? Yeah, I mean, I mean, no one would have started in front of uh, Bryce Young. I was uh, looking up Milrose. Uh, he was a uh, he was a four star guy coming out of high school. He was the number yeah. number fourteen QB. Yeah, but now when everybody's talking about highs but an outstanding player, it's one other player at Alabama you might need to watch. That's the running back Jam Miller, Jamarian Miller. And you think he can make a, uh, a Heisman push this year? Yeah. If he's on the field enough, he will. He has excessive good hands. He's a big running back. I'm probably like a, I'm not going to say as big as Derrick Henry, but he's a big running back with speed. That was the guy that wouldn't um, let Alabama shut out in that Kansas State game. The running back that came in Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm we're we're good friends with JJ. He's in and out of town all the time. I I in fact saw him yesterday. He's he's doing very well. Okay, yeah, that's good. Glad to hear that. Yes, yeah. sir. Wait, wait, yeah. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely, we appreciate the phone call, Tony. Uh-huh. That is Tony from Tuskegee joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Yeah, I know uh, Alabama as always has a uh, a stable of running backs. I, I do not I, – look, I mean, he might uh, – Jan Miller might end up being awesome, but uh, I think that Roy Dell Williams and Jace McClellan are going to certainly be getting carries too. So I think Miller is younger than, than those guys, or at least younger than McClellan. Yeah, no, he's younger than both those guys. So maybe maybe next year, maybe 2024, he ends up having a – Huge year. That's that's that was the thing going on with with Mama for a few years was that it felt like their backup was always better than their starter. <laughs> as good as their starter was, their backup always seemed like he was about to be even better. And that, that went on for several years. Uh, Want to finish up our conversation here about uh, the Braves real quickly and about the uh, uh, lack of security uh, there for that moment. It I was hitting on it a little bit with Steve. The the fascinating part is. Is like it, it's actually too easy to get on to surfaces and to playing fields and courts. Like, again, I would never encourage you to do this. Never. Please don't ever do this. But if you were during the game at Neville Arena in the student section, who's stopping you from getting on that court? You run right on that court. Now, you'll never, ever be able to go to Neville Arena again. But I'm serious. You could walk right on that court. Someone will go tackle you in a matter of seconds, but it, uh, the student section is right next to the court. You just have to hop over that 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 court side seat. You're on. Shoot three. Go get the ball. Yeah. Take a shot. I mean, I'm, seriously, like it's it, it is very easy to do that, and I I don't know if, when there needs to be an overreaction to any of this, but I'm just saying, like I'm all I'm almost surprised. My my thought is. I'm almost surprised it doesn't happen more because right. you might not be able to achieve your goal, get to the player, take the picture, whatever. 
But it's actually, quite honestly, pretty easy to get near or on these playing surfaces of, of in a lot of situations. Yeah, and, and that is a, it's a scary thing. But you don't ever want to you don't want to uh, you don't want to end up getting yourself in a situation in American sports like they have to do overseas, where they actually have to put a fenced barrier between the fans and the players because. I mean, in some of those soccer areas, they, they get heated to where they will try to go out there and yeah. kill a player. And, I mean, that's just legit. And so there's like a fenced barrier all around the, the, the field so that nobody can access the field except who's supposed to be there. So if you've got any thoughts of doing something like that, any listener out there that has don't. any thoughts about doing that, don't do it because you're going to ruin for everybody. Because yeah. eventually if it keeps happening, they will have to put – that type of security in place because even with a human element of security out there, there's like, you can only have so many. And especially if, if you decide to make a rush, a group makes a rush to the field. You see it all the time when, when out of excitement, you rush the field and the security is there. It's like they can't stop everybody. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you have to calm yourself. Otherwise you're going to end up making it look like, the, these places that you see on TV in soccer where you, to get to the field, you've actually got to climb over a chain link fence with barbed wire at the top of it. Uh, you know, I don't think anybody wants that. No. The other part of this is, oh, by the way, Acuna had a tremendous game last night. He had. Oh, yeah, there is that part. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the other side is he went four for five, had a homer, bases clearing double, five RBIs, scored four runs, stole two bases. He's now one home run away. From a 30-homer, 60-stolen base season, which has never happened before. I think Ricky Henderson got close. It was, what, 28 homers that Henderson hit with 60 steals, I think was the previous mark. No one's ever done 30 and 60. We've talked about could he get the 40-40, which obviously it would be 40 and then 70 or 80, 90, whatever he ends up at stolen base-wise. But... uh, I just don't think he's getting the 40 homers. He's just going to come. I think he's going to finish in the mid-30s somewhere, 35, 36. If he got really hot for a week, uh, he might still be able to get there, which brings me to, like, we have a real kind of MVP battle. I don't want that to be true. I want Acuna to have it, and we know that. But, unfortunately, the hype train nationally is coming around Mookie Betts. Freeman's still up there. Freeman's still hitting 340. Uh, but I think Mookie Betts, because he's hit over 400 in the month of August, has really caught a lot of people's attention. I still think it should be Acuna. But it would certainly help Acuna if he could outplay Betts in this upcoming Dodgers series. If 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 Acuna, I tell you, two things can happen this weekend with four games in L.A. One, Atlanta can feel awesome about being the number one seed in the National League if they win this series. They don't have to sweep it. They just win the series. They'll feel absolutely awesome, and they're going to end up being the one seed. And if Acuna can outplay Mookie Betts in the process of that, I don't know what the argument would be anymore for for Betts or Freeman over Acuna. You know, Olsen's actually not hit a home run in a couple weeks now, so he's not going to go on some unbelievable – rampage where he ends up hitting uh, 60 or something like judge did last year uh in fact he's now not even certain to to pass andrew jones's franchise record what 51 52 something like that uh, for andrew jones in the 0405 season something like that um but 
big night from Acuna last night on top of it. And, man, it, it got me thinking, guys. Truist Park's a pretty good hitter's park. But, man, Coors Field. It, it's just a hitter's paradise. Yeah. Well, it was a hitter's paradise for the Braves. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> but, I mean, even the – I mean, could change, That could change tonight. But Well, well, sure, but I'm just saying, like, if you watch the game, it, it's not just that the ball travels. That's part of it, uh, and that's why the fences are further back. But because the fences are further back, you get more blue pits. You don't even think about that part of it. Yes, you can get some more triples because you hit it in the right spot it gets to the wall. And you hit homers always because the ball still flies. But now you hit more blue pits. I think the Braves had like four blue pits last night. Right. And maybe all in like that, uh, what was it? I think it was the seventh inning that yeah. they, they had a big inning yeah. in. Scored five or six runs uh, to break it open. Sixth or seventh inning. They had three or four blue pits just in that inning while I was watching. I, it, thought, I thought it was like the top of the ninth where – they well, get, they scored a few more in the ninth because okay. Acuna had that, but it was right. like five to four or four to four, and they scored four. Uh, or five. Okay, they scored like you. five in the seventh, something like that. And Azuna had a blue pit, and Arcia had a blue pit, and at one point in the night, Olsen stuck one out there. And I was just thinking, man, again, that's why you have to grade to some degree hitters, especially I, I say especially pitchers, and look at it. The Braves acquired Pierce Johnson from Colorado. I told you his ERA was like seven in Colorado. It was four everywhere else or high threes. Well, has he pitched more like a three ERA guy or a seven ERA guy in Atlanta? You tell me. It's clearly been in the threes. And so uh, can you imagine Brooks rooting for a team at Coors Field just knowing like seven runs just may not be enough from, from night to night? Well, and, and they talked about it on the Braves broadcast last night when the Braves uh, – I think they the it was what four to two, five to two, and they well no every lead here feels like a one run lead. That's how quickly <laughs> the the games can change at, at Coors Field. Um, just the the long ball is just rampant. I you know I would it, the the thing is is I just I don't know if I could have a favorite pitcher because you look at the you know everybody would have a elevated ERA there because they're just giving up so many runs uh, at, at at the mile high. Yeah, no, I think my favorite pitcher would be the one that's that, and that's the other thing too. And I don't even know if it's worked. You tell me if it's worked. They've tried to have sinker baller after sinker baller there, and I'm not even sure that that has ended up being worth a darn for them. I mean, I, I they they employ all these sinker ballers, but I'm going to break the news too. The sinker doesn't sink as much yeah. uh, at Coors Field. I, I know that seems interesting because we're talking 60 feet. We're talking 90 miles per hour plus. It doesn't sink the same. It, it, they don't have better ERAs at home either. It, it's always worse. So I just I imagine this record-setting Braves offense playing 81 in Coors Field instead of four. And I was just like, man, the, you think these numbers are big. You you, you try 70 Seventy some more games in Coors Field than what they're going to have. They already scored forty in the the four game series in Atlanta, and now they've scored fourteen in the first game in Colorado. We are going to go to our end of hour break right now. On the other side, when we open up the five o'clock hour, we will have a sports call five at five presented by Southeastern Land Group, and that will be about Auburn football. And we'll have much more for you coming up in hour number three. Stay tuned. More sports call after this.
two hours of sports call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday afternoon as we get closer and closer to football season. It is finally here. It seems like, I know this is uh, just a personal aside for a moment, um, I took over first week of January. So pretty much the whole time that I've been hosting, we've had no Auburn football. Really the whole time I've hosted, we've had no Auburn football to look forward to. We did have some NFL. We did have the like the national championship game in college football, which ended up just being a... You mean the national championship scrimmage? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, pretty much. We had that, but so basically the entire time I've been in this seat, we've not had college football, and we've certainly not had Auburn football. And so it's just exciting to – maybe a little extra exciting uh, exciting this year to finally be arriving to it and already have a few games underway. But, of course, Auburn's first game coming up on Saturday inside of Jordan-Hare Stadium. And with that, we will have another sports call 5 at 5 today. Right now, it's presented by Southeastern Land Group. It will be about Auburn football. But first, we want to remind you that John Harden and Brian Watts are your local land advisors with Southeastern Land Group. Land is always a sound financial investment, but it's also an investment in time with your family and friends, and Brian and John can help you find the perfect property for you. If you're looking to sell your land and get maximum exposure to potential buyers, your friends at Southeastern Land Group can also help you with that too. Call John Harden at 334 524-2756 or call Brian Watts at 334-707-4273 or find them online at selandgroup.com. Today for the Sports Call 5 at 5 presented by Southeastern Land Group, we're going to be looking at five things Auburn needs to improve on from last year. You can argue there are more. That's what happens with a 5-7 and team. Here's five of the things, five of the main things that Auburn needs to improve upon from last year's team. Number one. Need some better blocking, particularly better pass blocking. Obviously, offensive line for several years has been a little less than stellar. Recruiting has not been good. Maybe they could run block but couldn't pass block most most years. It was one odd year where they were starting to pass block better, but then the run blocking went away. They just need to, to block better. They have a lot of new uh, linemen in the fold this year, several transfer portal guys, several guys uh, that they did recruit that they hope can be future starters, and so just need better, more cohesive offensive line play, new system to learn for those linemen, maybe a new blocking scheme with a lot of those run plays, zone blocking, that sort of stuff. Uh, Need to uh, certainly block better this year. Yeah, uh, we've talked about it before. It doesn't matter how good your quarterback is. It doesn't matter how good your running backs are. If you don't have the blocking up front, then you're going to fail at those, and so you have to be better. 
I mentioned it earlier when we were talking about the the starting lineup and the uh, the depth chart. I'll say it again. I don't care who starts. I don't care who you put out there. Just be better. Be be better than you have been. Give Peyton Thorne time. Open up some gaps for Jarquez and and Damari. Do that. Just be better. Yeah. Don't care. Be don't care who is out there. Just be better. I take five three hundred pound boys. Move the other three hundred pound boys That's out it. of the way. Number two. On our sports call, five at five, presented by Southeastern Land Group. More accuracy from the quarterback position this year. Now, look, last year, because of that blocking, because of the lack of great wide receiver play, there was a lot of reasons that the passing game was not uh, well-tuned, not fine-tuned. However, 49% in a Power 5 conference completion percentage, that's still on a quarterback, too. Like the, that's just not a percentage where you can talk yourself into. He he would have been 60, 60 or sixty five percent if this this and this happened. No, there was too many this this and this is uh, at forty nine percent. It was a rough year passing the football. As great as Robbie Ashford was running the football, needed to single out the accuracy part of it. Needed to single out the ability to stay in the pocket, hang in there when possible, and be able to deliver a ball on time and on target. It's a simple thing in the passing game. That's not next level, but I feel like it was not, uh, or it was very lacking uh, last year. And again, that's one of the things when I was looking at back at Peyton Thorne tape and look, some of the coaches are posturing that he's going to move better than you think he can. We'll see. I, I don't necessarily, I'll, I'll say I don't necessarily buy that right now. I do not think he'll be a big part of the run game. But what I did see on tape at Michigan State was that he maneuvered the pocket well. He was not a, oh, here's the first sign of trouble. Let me go to the right or let me go to the left. Let me get out of here. I saw him actually trying to maneuver, work the pocket a little bit, hang in there. And look, if, if you can improve the offensive line, I would I don't know what you call it, a D offensive line last year. Yeah. Maybe not a straight F, but like a D, D plus or something. If you can get it up to C plus, B minus, sure, there's still some going to be some deficiencies then. But then that's when Peyton Thorne can take that ability to hang in there, that desire to hang in the pocket, still make play, and use it to his advantage because all of a sudden you're going to be a little bit more trusting of what's going on because it's not going to be every play that you need to escape or, or climb the pocket or something. Uh, but then when those happen, when times do happen, he's still been very adept at uh, keeping his eyes down the field. Uh, and, and we'll, we'll be willing to hang in there knowing, oh, this isn't the 10th time in 15 dropbacks. I'm about to get hit or close to getting hit. This is the second time in 15 dropbacks. All of a sudden it doesn't doesn't hurt. It doesn't feel like it hurt as much when it's not every single play. Uh, and so anyway, I think they need better accuracy, better ability to hang in the pocket, and I think Peyton Thorne will deliver that this year. Yeah, and that's what you expect from him. Talking about that that accuracy, and this is just from a fan aspect of it, and sure, journalists can look at this too, but even just on the fan aspect of it, last year when Auburn was in a, a passing situation, you knew it was a passing situation, third and long, there was not a lot of confidence that Auburn was going to pick that up. In, any passing situation with Robbie Ashford back there, and then even when you go back to when T.J. Finley was in there, there was no confidence that – a, a passing play could happen, and that's got to change. You think that you could get that with Peyton Thorne. Give him – if the offensive line can give him some time and then his ability to move in the pocket, and if he can show that he can be that accurate passer, with, especially with some of these big-bodied uh, pass catchers that you've now got, 
maybe it'll feel a little bit better and, and have that little boost of confidence. Because, yeah, the last two years, anytime Auburn was throwing the ball, it was like, oh, goodness. <laughs> it's like, this is going to be bad. Maybe I, not so much. This I year. would almost argue that there was a point last year when, when Ashford was towards the end of the year where I, if it was third, nine, or ten, I was actually more okay with the quarterback run play. Yeah. Like, I, I felt better that Ashford had have a, a shot chance. at it running, running yep. it on some sort of designed counter or draw than him, or even some scramble drill play, than actually a straight drop back, normal-looking normal, normal looking throw. Uh, and again, kids can improve. I'm not saying that's what Ashford's going to be this year if he's forced in the duty or if he has a package, that sort of thing. But again, 49% at the SEC level, is it's not even close to, to cutting it. And so that's when it's like, yes, you can knock a couple percent down for hurry throws. Yes, you can knock a couple percent down for receivers not getting out. But you can't find me 15% passing just, just out of all that. That's on the quarterback play too. So uh, we'll see what the percentage is like this year. Percentage is not everything, but still overall need more accuracy out of that position this year. Number three. Is better defensive penetration. Last year, I feel like Auburn at times could hold the line and hang in there. But they were not creating a lot of negative plays. Uh, I think they had, I think we were talking about 22 sacks for the season. So that's a little less than two per game. It's not an awful number, but certainly not a big number. But then obviously the rush defense being around 100, 105th in the country. There's three things that can happen in the line of scrimmage there. You can either win your battle and cause the penetration, which is what we would like to see. You can hold your ground. That's when the linebackers become really pivotal or a, a blitzing safety or something. The second-level guys trying to get in there and hold it to a one, two, three-yard gain, that sort of thing. And then the third thing is you just get flat run over. You get pancaked. You get driven back. And you lose your battles, and that's when your gaping holes come and that sort of thing. Those are the three main things that happen for the defensive line. I feel like it was a lot of the latter two last year, a lot of you holding ground or, or getting beat. They need to flip that script. And will they? I don't know. That, that's one of the big concerns of the team. I'm not overly optimistic about it personally. But they need to find more penetration up front in the middle and, then of course, continue to generate whatever pressure they can there on the edge with uh, with pass rushing too. Yeah, Uh it's going to be a lot of unknown guys, and you're hoping to see some improvement. But the simple fact is, Derek Brown's not walking back through that door. Marlon Davidson's not walking through that door. Some of these guys that you have had that are kind of stalwarts of that line in recent memory, they're not walking back through that door right now. And, and until that recruiting can pick up to that level and you get those types of guys back on that defensive line, you're having to do it with the transfers. You're trying to do it with – Guys that have struggled in the past. So, you're. I, I think if there is a major question of this team, it starts right there. Because I, I, I feel like the offensive line has been filled out relatively nicely, but there's still so many questions on that defensive front and, and being able to get that pressure instead of getting knocked back. You're also hoping maybe a new strength and conditioning program and coaching will kind of beef those guys up a little bit to where they're not just so easily pushed around like we've seen the last – couple of times out number four is along the same lines as we continue with our sports call five at five presented by southeastern lane group along the same lines need a difference maker defensively now this is not something to necessarily approve upon last year i feel like Derek hall was a difference maker uh, i feel like at times owen papo maybe earlier in his career but was capable of being that but as tom just said I, some sort of guy, look, I, I know 
like he said, no Derek Browns walking through there, that sort of thing. But Auburn does need to find somebody that the other team has to really worry about. And, you know, maybe that's on the back end. You know, maybe that's DJ James. Maybe that's Nehemiah Pritchett or something like that. Keontae Scott. But they need somebody where, in a scouting report, the other offense is like, man, got to stay away from that guy or got to block that guy. Because I don't really feel like inherently, uh, again, some people really love DJ James. I like him. I just don't think he's that guy right now, as of now, that you're just like, well, that's 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 a whole island over there, and you need to avoid that, and you just need to go anywhere else. I don't think it's that level of respect. I think it's, hey, DJ James is good. He's probably their best corner. You also throw in Nehemiah Pritchard or someone else in there, but... Look, if you got the matchup, we, we still like our matchup, that sort of thing. I feel like that's how other offenses could still approach that. Auburn needs to find somebody on defense that is worth the scouting report singling out this year. They need to find somebody that an offense is willing to put two people on and, and leave the ability to free somebody else. Because that, that's a sacrifice you make when you have a really, really good defensive player you and you know you can't beat them one on one most of the time, so you're gonna have to put two on them. That's gonna free somebody else up, and it's gonna put a mismatch somewhere. If you can find that guy that teams are like look at, like you said, that you're like either we're gonna have to run away from that side of the field, or we're gonna have to dedicate two people to blocking this guy pretty much every time he's on the field because he is going to destroy us then that's what you need. And right now, I don't feel like Auburn has a guy that I think anybody would look at and go, double team, don't care. Yep. <laughs> I mean, yep. if, we don't, nope. have, if yep. we don't have two people on him and maybe even a third trying to chip him somewhere, he's going to hurt us. That, I don't think Auburn has that. Right. And so that's something to look out for. Can they develop that this year? Can they find somebody to be – that difference maker on the defensive side and wrapping up the sports call five at five with number five, a 50, 50 ball winner on the offensive side of the ball. Now that's something we've talked a good bit about here and, and throughout the fall. And I think that we'd probably agree. I think Auburn's on the cusp of finding that just got to do it in a game. Now I think everyone really likes Shane hooks. I've been talking him up a lot, just about each and every day on the show. And, and there are some other options there for you too, but I want to see Auburn have somebody that, you can throw into, because look, it's not always wide open. You can throw a ball too that is a little questionable or little, little thrown a little above the helmet level, thrown a little outside the numbers. You can find a guy that make a tough catch like that. And I don't know if, I, I, in fact, I do know Auburn's not had that last couple of years. And that's something they do need to improve upon from last year is having guys that can make the tough plays. They've just had guys that just make normal plays. Like, oh, that DB didn't cover him that time. Okay, he caught it. Good. They've had very average receivers that, that didn't do anything overly well. Do uh, An overly great route runner, an overly great you know, high pinpoint the ball type of guy or Speedster just, just they lack kind of all of it in the last couple of receiving cores. And so more than anything, other than the route running, although that matters, all of it matters, I want to see somebody that can actually win one-on-one matchups because of physicality, because of high-pointing balls, because of just having good wide receiver ball skills rather than having to be wide open because there was a bust or the play design was finally really good, whatever. I want to see someone be able to make the tough catches for Auburn this year. Again, I, I, I am laying some money, figuratively speaking, of course, 
on Shane Hooks to be able to do that. I still think there's a couple other options for you, too. But, Fairweather. Uh, uh, Rivaldo Fairweather, absolutely. Marner at 6'6", Camden Brown, Jair Shorter. Again, there's options. I need somebody to break through there uh, and be that guy and be that 50-50 winner. Yeah. Want, I was going to say, you want to know a fun fact? Yes. Um, so Shane Hooks spent his first two years of college at Ohio, right? Uh-huh. So I'm notorious for going back and watching just random football games. Yeah. Last night I went back and I watched uh, highlights of 2019 Ohio versus Marshall, and they <laughs> threw a touchdown pass, the first career touchdown pass to a kid named Shane Hooks. Uh-huh. And I said, well, that name sounds familiar. Yeah, you like what you saw I there? I did like what I saw. Yeah, uh, yeah the, the 50-50 ball, uh, we've talked about it before, to have a wide receiver that steps up can be, quote-unquote, that guy. Like, I need a play, that's the guy. And, yeah, I think Shane Hooks can be that. I, I really like what I've heard people telling me about Rivaldo Fairweather, uh, that he is yeah, – he's listed as a tight end, but it's like he's just another really big wide receiver. And you've got some other really big dudes out there, and that's what you're looking for. You're looking for that big-bodied receiver that can go up and can jostle with a defensive back and can get up in the air over a defensive back and pull a ball in. And one of those where it's like, yeah, you know, I I need I need ten yards, and I know I can throw it up. And this dude at six six is going to be able to jump up and somehow get a hand on one and pull it down. And and yes, Auburn needs that. They have not had that in the last couple of years. The, just a single guy that you know can do that. Whether it's being open, whether it's being covered, but I feel like they've got a couple pieces of that puzzle there now. And so I'm I'm definitely looking forward to that. So that is the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. Again, five improvements for Auburn to make in 2023 from the 2022 season. Better pass blocking, better quarterback accuracy, better defensive penetration, a difference maker defensively, and a 50-50 ball winner on the offensive side of things. We're going to take our first time out of hour number three. We continue on with this Tuesday edition of Sports Call right after the break. Call has been on the air since 1995. I'm Britt Bowen, voice of Auburn women's basketball and Auburn softball. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday edition of the show. Starting to wind things down as Tom yawns as it's dark outside and uh, as I find off the sleepies a little bit myself. How can we be sleepy? It's almost football time. 
It's still not got, football time yet. Yeah, I was going to say, we still got days to wait. Yeah, still four more days for Auburn and 48 more hours or so until some decent games on, on uh, Thursday night, too, including Florida, Utah. Uh, Brooks, I want to start with you here this yeah, segment. Yeah, I'm here. Um, we brought I brought this up with Fur a couple hours ago uh, with Justin Ferguson. If you missed that interview, Sports Call podcast is presented by Coca-Cola. Highly recommend checking that out. We certainly appreciate all those that do listen on the Sports Call podcast. But asked him about the storyline today that apparently about 75 ACC games, including New Year's Six Bowls, are going to be available to be watched in movie theaters mm-hmm. in, in select markets, basically in ACC markets. So I do not believe it will have anything, there will not be anything in the Auburn Opelika area. I, the way it was understood is, is that just ACC markets, uh, home and yeah. away markets. So do not think it will be coming here. Uh, Auburn, yeah, notably I'm, not in the ACC. I looked up the, whatever it is, the theater sports network, and it, it, it the the press release said to go there to see um to see if you know to find out where it's going to be streamed right or where it's going to be at and it all it just said was get notified <laughs> get notified I'm like, all right <laughs> okay so with that in mind though let's say that it had been available or it would be come available sure how interested are you in watching college football game in a movie theater is that something you would uh, you would consider does that sound like a good idea so. Uh, yes and no. It just, it really depends on, um, what, uh, what else is on. Like if I'm getting a, not, let's not say a standalone game because there's not a lot of standalone college football games except for this coming Sunday night and this coming Monday night you get a standalone college football game then. Um, but it, it really depends on the slate that is around it. Say, you know, just... Week one, you, you've got, you know, say North Carolina, South Carolina is the prime, the big primetime game, ABC, ESPN. Um, I'd have to look at the rest of the schedule, but I'd be willing to go watch the big primetime college football game, side of game day, you know, the, the biggest game of the week in a movie theater, as long as it's not, there's not a lot of other appetizing options. Like if you're going up against, you know, Rutgers and Purdue and you know what uh, uh South Alabama and Arkansas State yeah Arkansas yeah. State the SEC Network's got like Missouri and Vanderbilt I'm like all in I'll go sit in a theater I, I think it it you, you get the you know everybody wants the bigger TV you always see the statistics where around Super Bowl time the the sale of TV like larger <laughs> screen TVs goes up because people are going in and buying bigger TVs to watch the Super Bowl and so I'd be willing to to go there because you know especially like say Auburn's playing at Georgia and it's a primetime game and you don't have tickets to the game well this is the next best thing to being pretty much in the stadium is sitting in basically stadium seating and as the movie theater watching the game Tom would you watch a, a college football game in a movie theater no that was simple yeah <laughs> would no. you watch any sporting event in a movie theater no do you like the movie theater <laughs> to go watch a movie, sure. Okay, I was just maybe you're not a movie guy at all. Like, I, I just, well, I'm not. I'm not a huge movie. Guy. I don't. I I love the. I now you know just for like the surround sound aspect of watching a game in there. Okay, whatever. But uh, no, I I want to be able to get up, move around. I want to be able to flip, see different games. Uh, I want to be able to eat, drink, 
mingle. I don't want to be sitting in a movie theater watching a game. But that just does, does, the that does not seem fun to me. Well, but the, hang on. No, time. Time, <laughs> time out. out. Hold oh, on. Okay. Hang on. Hear me out here. What? What? How would the etiquette change? Because I think it would change. Like, like you're not going to be sitting there in silence watching the game. I don't think every. That's not how people react around sporting events. No, no. And and I don't think it's more about the place either. I think it's more about what you're doing because I'm not hooting and hollering watching a movie at home either. So I'm pretty silent when I watch movies. Period. Now, now look, if you're at the conference at home, you certainly talk more than you're at the theater. I'm not saying that, but still, in general. Well, if you're actively watching a movie, you're not making a lot of noise. You're listening to the movie or watching the movie. But at a sporting events, inherently, you are making a lot of noise. And you right. are moving a little bit. And so my thought is, like, yeah, even if those are random people, like, and you're only with a, a couple friends or something, you're going to be cheering when your team does something well. Or you're going to be, like, kind of saying that like, man, what kind of call was that? Because, heck, I do that at Buffalo Wild Wings. I'm sitting in the bar area. The Bucks are you know, absolutely just making me regret my life. And I'm, I, I'm making, I'm saying stuff out loud, even in, in the bar area of a Buffalo wild wings or something. And so I feel like you're thinking of like the movie environment, like that's going to have to be that environment. But I think what we're really talking about here is like a, a shared auditorium with a huge screen where you can actually go out. You have to pay a lot of money because concessions well, yeah. are very loud very high, but guess what? They are at f- football games too. Uh, where you have to just go out real quickly and buy something else, come back in, or get a refill or something. But yeah. I, I, I think if you think about it, it's that's not any less convenient than actually going to a concession stand in the stadium. Right. No, no, no. And I, I mean, I, I get that. And yeah, you're going to still be hooting and hollering. It just it feels like I I don't know. And maybe it's because I've never been to one. Maybe if I were to go and experience one in a movie theater, it's like that was actually the coolest thing I've ever seen. It just, I don't know, it doesn't really do it for me. I, I guess I'm more about, if I'm going to be out watching it, now, I would prefer to watch it at home. Uh-huh. Uh, that way, I can pick what games I want to watch, and I can flip back and forth between games that I want to watch. And if if I'm watching Auburn, and they're stinking it up, I can just turn away from it. Now, granted, at the theater, I can just walk out, but, right. you know, I I can change channels. Plus, I'm not having to pay for it unless I'm, it's a streaming aspect of it. Um, I I can flip to whatever game I want. I can get as loud as I want. I can I can cuss as much as I want to. I yeah. can relax if I want to. I can take a nap if I want to. I you know I've just got free reign. That's at home. Now the other aspect is if I do go out to watch one, I would rather it be in more of the sports bar or bar atmosphere mm-hmm. where. People are, you know, you got some adult beverages going and it's kind of getting you loosened up, you know, and and maybe you got some wings or some nachos or something and, you know, it's more loose, yeah. you know, atmosphere watching a game. It just it feels like a movie theater. But yeah, you can have fun, but it still kind of feels like you might be a little confined and, yeah, you know, I, it just doesn't seem like it would be a pleasant experience. Okay. I could be wrong, but no, I just wanted you to explain it because you—I mean—you were very against it. So I was just like, okay. Uh, I mean, that's fair. Entitled to feel that way, absolutely. I'm not—I'm not sure it would be a home run either. I, I would be willing to try it under certain parameters, uh, kind of like what Brooks will lead into. I follow multiple different college teams I care about, 
not even just the SEC, but really all the big relevant teams. Not that I like them all, but I at least need to know what's going on in the sport because I love the sport. So, I mean, you know, it'd have to fit certain parameters. But I tell you, I, I have to affirm everything going on that night, slate Saturday night. North Carolina, South Carolina would be a very good example of something that I, I, I myself might be interested in going to see in a circumstance like that. Uh, and also, I'm a frequent moviegoer too, so I I, I go all the time, and um, I, I I think there would be some challenges, um, just because if it did get really full, like you said, Tom, that'd be kind of interesting, be be a little different. Yeah. Um, but I I like the idea. I don't think it's a horrid idea. I'll be I'd be very interested, and in, I'll never know. No one will ever, unless unless it's just an absolute raging success and it grows to the entire country and it's done by multiple conferences or something we won't really ever know how successful if it's okay or if it's is pretty bad that sort of thing but just thought that was an interesting idea of course i would never replace that with actually like going to the game uh just to be clear i'm talking about ways that you'd maybe watch a road game or something like that but uh i i, I appreciate the outside the box idea and Brooks, you were saying that uh, they did some NFL games over in Columbus last yeah, there year. Was, uh, I don't remember if it was last or year, year but it's in the last few years. Like there was a theater over in Columbus that showed some some NFL games, and I, I considered going down there to watch the Patriots when they were out of the uh, out of our our area to watch it one weekend. But I, I never ended up going down there. But yeah, there was there was a theater in Columbus. I, I don't know if I could find it, the, but did NFL games in the theater. Yeah, that's interesting too. Because and and even again, it's one of those things where it's like you'd want to be careful to be like again not completely full to where you couldn't move at all, or if you cheered, you might elbow somebody. Uh, but also at the same time, you'd want to be more than just five or six people in there because then it's just like, well, this is not an environment at all. I mean. I don't know. Maybe you'd want maybe you'd want to be the only people in there, and then it's just like you paid to have your own personal movie theater for a day, which that you can rent out movie theaters too. By the way, I still think. Uh, so again, that was a different idea to to watch a college football game. Oh, you found? I'm gonna say I, I didn't find the the actual theater, but it was AMC Theaters did mm-hmm. it, uh, and this is from the January 9th of last uh, uh, 2022 New Orleans and Atlanta game and there was like uh amc is proud to present select pro football games on the big screen every sunday in stunning detail at participating theaters huh. um and so it was uh it, reserve your seat and get admission at no uh no charge with the purchase of a ten dollar prepaid event food beverage uh to be used for the game day drink and eats yeah so very interesting very interesting for sure so i want to bring that up today as something outside the box we'll see if that takes off or uh, if this is a one and done type of thing for the ACC, for ESPN, and for the uh, for the movie theaters, they end up doing that in in ACC markets. We're going to take another timeout. We'll start to wrap up this Tuesday edition of Sports Call right after the break. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger ninety five point nine.
May we have your attention, please? Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Hi, my name is... What? My name is... My name is... Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Follow Sports Call on Twitter at Sports Call AU. Like us on Facebook at Sports Call AU. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday edition. You heard a couple rumbles of thunder during the break, so almost time for us to get out of here and uh, try to beat that. Apparently it's raining all around us, but not here. Uh, it happens that way sometimes. A few minutes left in the show before we get to the nightly TV guide. This is the one day of the show this week where I will not be asking for any uh, official Auburn predictions that comes on the last day of everyone's uh, appearances this week. So tomorrow we'll get uh, Tom's word on it. Thursday we'll get uh, TP's word on it. And then Friday, myself, Brooks, and Cam uh, will give you final record uh, prediction there. Uh, it continues to be in that 7-5, and 8-4 and four range for, for most people. And I think that's because you look at it and Auburn's probably just going into the season. Well, obviously this will change its records, start to happen, wins and losses, uh, performance, all that. Injuries. Injuries, all that. But as of right now, I believe that Auburn's coming into the year really only favored in six games. There's a couple that are close, but I think they're only favored in the four non-conference games, Vandy and home against Mississippi State. They're only one-point underdogs against Ole Miss, and I don't have a line. I would imagine they would be a couple of point underdogs at Arkansas. So there's still a couple in there that are almost close to 50, uh, basically very close to 50-50. But as of right now, they're, they're favored in six games. So that's why winning seven or eight is still, in my opinion, that's, that's a good start in year one when you're talking about that means that you won all the games you were projected to or expected to. And then on top of that in year one, you still were able to take down a couple teams that were perceived to have coming into the year a slight advantage on you or or some sort of, um, you know, overcame a, a road environment like, like Arkansas again. So something like that. So that that's the target. So let me frame the question this way. We're again, we're not given records, but I don't know if I've ever heard directly out of you guys now that we are this close to the season. What to you, regardless of what you think will happen, what to you is a successful season? 13 and 0. Awesome. <laughs> yes, as well. I agree. What's just in the show right there? Yep. Oh. Yep. Drop mic drop. Mic drop. Uh, successful season, you know, honestly, if I'm going, the the bare minimum successful season for me is just win more than you did last year with, with your first year. 
Um, and so my bare minimum for at least a mildly, this is mildly successful, six and six. A true successful little bit you know, is, is that seven and five, eight and four area. I just, you know, you, you look at the schedule. I don't know where uh, there you could get, you know, some of those wins. You, you, you reach up and you upset some folks you're, you're favored, uh, you're not favored against. Um, but I think that that bare minimum, all right, we've got a place to build here is six and six, make a bowl game, um, and then be re- at least be really competitive in the bowl game. Because you make six and six bowl game, though, it, it could be, you know, you may be, you know, un- people don't want to hear it, but it may be the Birmingham Bowl against like a, a, a Memphis or a Houston or someone. And if you go in there and, and you, if it's a that caliber team, you go in there, you, you win that, you win the football game. Um, and, and I think that's really successful. So I, I think six and six with a bowl appearance, but depending on who your bowl opponent is, a bowl win with the with a six and six record, a finish with a seven and six record, uh, I, I is is in my opinion the bare minimum for success this year. So, um, to to me, I think I think six and six is still going to be disappointing. I I think. Seven wins is the bare minimum because I think everybody, I think most people feel like this team is a seven-win team and they should win seven, and that's should. I think six means you've dropped one somewhere that was winnable, and so I think that I think six wins would be disappointing. I think seven is that floor. It's like if you get to the seven wins, that's two more than last year, and it's like okay. Also, though, among that seven wins, though. There needs to be a sense of competitiveness with the with the teams ahead of you. That I, I don't like moral victories, but let's just face it: this team is behind the eight ball right now. You're going to have to have a couple of moral victories. You're going to have to have some of those that you look at and you're like, "Wow, man! If we just had a bounce go this way, we beat the team X." You know, we. Oh my gosh! You know we just played our butts off against LSU. Yeah, we came up short, but dag gum, those kids fought. You're gonna have to have some of that along with the seven wins. Um, I so I think that's successful. I think seven win season and competitive is your kind of baseline success. I think anything less than that, you're still gonna be disappointed. Uh, and, and then, you know, I feel like, you know, it still gives you room to even improve on that seven. I mean, if that's your floor, there's I think there's room there. I don't see ten wins. I don't I don't foresee Auburn doing that. But I could see I could see a path to eight. I could kind of sort of see a path to nine. It's, mm, you know, you're really stretching yourself there. But as far as, you know, so, you know, success, obviously, you know, over success, you're looking at nine, but I think baseline success is at seven and competitive against the top caliber. Sure, and again, that's. I mean, some might say there's a wrong answer to that, but again, I'm. I was just asking sure. your opinions. Like, if we are sitting here on the show first week of December, and the team went seven and five, eight and four, six and six, like, right, is that successful to you? I, I don't. I don't think that there is ever a time. With Auburn, even as even with the roster the way it is, because now they have been they've still been recruiting guys, they've been bringing guys into the transfer from the transfer portal and things like that. There should never, ever, ever, ever capitalized ever 
be a situation for Auburn where six and six is acceptable. Even in the situation that you're in right now with the roster and some question marks and things like that, you can't be satisfied with six and six. You have to have a winning season. Seven has got to be the the absolute bottom level of that's you know, at least we had a winning record. We got to a bowl game. I mean, if you're five or below five, it's just nobody's gonna feel successful with that. Yeah, I just don't see that because Auburn expects more. We've all heard it on the radio show before. I mean, if I don't care how bad the team is. This team was terrible last year, and we still heard, you know, all the griping and moaning about it. It's not acceptable. Six and six for any Auburn team is not acceptable. I don't care what position you're in roster-wise. You've got to be better than six and six because you're still better than the teams on your roster. You're still better than uh, you're still better than at least six that are on that schedule. So that's why I say seven has got to be your baseline for success. About out of time for the show today. Time for a real quick nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's nightly TV guide. Sports Call's nightly TV guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Brooks, what do we have? Yeah, uh, one of my favorite actors of all time is on TV tonight. 7 o'clock on Freeform. It's Tom Hanks starring in Castaway. Great movie if you've never seen it. He's a FedEx guy. Gets Wilson! Caught. Yeah, Wilson. The ball. Gets, he dropped on an island. Crashes on an island. Uh, 707 on TNT. Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, is on tonight. Star Wars, they had a new series come out on Disney+. Plus. It's getting rave reviews. Uh, but tonight, Episode 3, 707 on TNT. You can watch uh, Revenge of the Sith. Isn't that the one with Darth Maul? No, that's number one. Oh, that's see, episode that's, one. I don't. See, this, is, this is where he becomes Darth Vader. Anakin Skywalker hey, becomes Darth Vader. It's where all the nerds. Spoiler alert. Yeah, that's yeah. I got you. That's that's the one all the nerds got excited in the movie theater in their <laughs> Whoa. pants. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. All right. Uh, with, spoiler alert. Uh, then sports on for you tonight. Doubleheader of tennis action for you starting at 6 o'clock on ESPN, also on ESPN2, so you can watch two different uh, events at the same time, 7 o'clock on TBS. The Milwaukee Brewers visit the Chicago Cubs for some Major League Baseball action. And, of course, tonight at 740 on Valley Sports South, your Atlanta Braves look for a series win in the Mile High City against the Colorado Rockies. We'll see. I think Charlie Morton's on the mound tonight for the Braves, and we'll see how he fares up there in the clouds. And that is a nightly TV guy brought to you our friends at White Call Hard Seltzer. Thank you very much for that, Brooks, and uh, thank you for being here this afternoon. We'll look forward to hearing you in the High School Coaches Show tomorrow night, and we'll look forward to you being back on this program on Thursday. Yes, sir. And, Tom, thank you for being here today as well. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. I will be here. That will do it for the show today. As always, we appreciate all those that tune in and called in, and we appreciate Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining us today as well. For Brooks Childress and Tom Peavy, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Tuesday night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.